This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Millbrook Fish and Supplies. Bird eat your koi alive? Replace it at Millbrook Fish and Supplies. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And this week, it's... The Turn of the Screw Adaptations. The late night double feature show. With 1961's The Innocents and 2020's The Turning. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What actress plays Elizabeth in the 1980 movie The Fog? The Fog. That is John Carpenter's ex-wife. She's the obnoxious wife in Creep Show. I can't think of her name. Can't believe you keep getting give me questions where I got to think of people's names. What if I were to tell you that Elizabeth is not the radio DJ? Oh, oh! <laughs> I completely forgot that Jamie Lee Curtis was in this movie. Yes, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> I completely forgot she was in that movie. <laughs> Okay. Oh, God. What is her name? Adrian Barbeau. That's it. Adrian Barbeau is who I was thinking of. But yes, Jamie Lee Curtis. So not only did I need to remember the name of an actress, I needed to remember which of the characters was named Elizabeth. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, one of the most boring names. <laughs> it's like, which uh, actor played John in such and such? I don't fucking know which character was John. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. Truman Capote had already started writing what novel when he took the job to rewrite the script to 1961's The Innocents? I've read this book. I know. You know this. You absolutely know this. In cold blood. There you go. Okay, good. Non Truman Capote, novel. the same man who wrote Breakfast at Tiffany. <laughs> uh huh. And. Our first movie, 1961's The Innocents, directed by Jack Clayton, screenplay by William Archibald and Truman Capote, with additional scenes and dialogue by John Mortimer, and of course, based on the story The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Starring Deborah Kerr, Peter Wingard, Megs Jenkins, Martin Stevens, and Pamela Franklin. It is based on The Turn of the Screw, but it's actually more closely an adaptation of a play called The Innocents. And that's why it takes that name. Interesting. You I'm mentioned not. in our last episode that it was published at the end of the 1800s, specifically 1898. But it does take place 30 years before that. The story is told like in flashback. So it actually takes place in the 1860s. <laughs> but what is the innocence about a governess comes to a manor in england bly manor yes to be an in-home governess for a young girl who has been orphaned and while there 
The young girl's older brother is sent home, and so she is suddenly the governess of two children, and the house might be haunted. Okay. The movie is available practically nowhere unless you have access to YouTube because it's on there in its entirety, which that's how I'm going to watch it. I would give you money. I would watch it in a subscription service that I'm paying for and you could get licensing fees for it. But no, you don't make it available anywhere. I'm just going to watch it on YouTube yep. and it's there in its entirety. Make sure you watch the version that's an hour and 40 minutes long. Uh, there is an hour and 35 minute long one, but I don't know what that cuts. Maybe it cuts the intro because <laughs> famously the intro of the movie takes place over complete black. Yes. And apparently projectionists would think that something was wrong and they would put the uh, the, the Fox logo over the top of it huh. because they thought there was something wrong with the reels that they got. Yeah. Oh. Should people watch The Innocents? I think so. Absolutely. I think it's good. I mean, it's revered, and I had never seen it before, but uh, I thought it was it was very good. It was maybe a little too slow for my tastes, and that's saying something, because... I was going to say it's a little long, yes. but I guess slow and long kind of go hand in hand. Right, you wouldn't think it was long if it went a little bit faster paced, but you know me, I'm very into patience, especially when that's coupled with fantastic cinematography, which this movie has... It was filmed in Cinemascope, and the director really didn't want to film it in Cinemascope. But the cinematographer, Freddie Francis, had just won an Oscar uh, previously for his movie he did before this. I can't remember the name of it, but that was also filmed in Cinemascope. And he's like, I think I can work with that. Well, what I can say about the direction is he got excellent performances out, out of, of children. the kids? Yeah. I know. Which is better than, I mean, okay, the kids in the new one are not, like, terrible, because obviously Finn Wolfhard is a good actor, but... I don't know that his range is that profound. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying about directors. Uh-huh. You know, some directors are good with kids and some are not. And these kids were great. The, yeah, the boy is just outstanding. Oh, like... So they talk about how this movie was filmed, uh, where they they only gave the scripts to the children like day of or day before or something like that, and only piecemeal. Uh, they didn't give them the entire script because they didn't want the kids to be exposed to all the other stuff, like when the adults are talking, mm -hmm. uh, all those conversations, because all the scenes with the actual kids, they never explicitly say what the adults say to each other. Mm -hmm. And so the kids would have no idea kind of what's going on. And a lot of horror movies are filmed this way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they did the same thing and, and still got these great performances out of them. And that, that boy, Martin Stevens, who played Miles is like legitimately creepy. Yes. And in an extremely subtle way. Yeah. In the new film, they really heavily rely on visuals. Yeah, and for him creepy being stuff. kind of emo. Right. <laughs> if you want to talk about Miles. Right. This kid, there is nothing off putting about his appearance. He is a perfectly, in fact, almost too perfectly uh, yeah. good looking, sweet, innocent boy. Yeah. And he pulls off this, this bubbling evil, but also this complete. It's complete ignorance of it all. Yeah. At the same time. It's beautifully done, and I don't know how they did it. <laughs> and there's a particular moment that's very famous in this movie and in the story 
that is also done in the turning. And you can use that, I think, as a very specific, you know, sharp focus of the differences between these two movies. And it's a very simple moment. And like literally what happens on screen is the same thing, but it's it's much more impactful and yet still subtle in this version than it is in the new one. But I'm talking about the kiss. So, yes, you should watch this one and it's free on YouTube. So go ahead and do it. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1961's The Innocents. There has never been a ghost story created especially for the adult moviegoer until The Innocents. Do they ever return to possess a living? 20th Century Fox, which presented Deborah Carr in Heaven Knows Mr. Allison, and such outstanding motion picture immortals as Snake Pit, Gentleman's Agreement, and Peyton Place, now gives you The Innocents. Based on the Henry James Chiller of Macabre Evil. Brilliantly adapted for the screen by William Archibald and Truman Capote. The Innocents. Produced and directed by Jack Clayton, the man who directed Room at the Top, turned into fearful reality by the magnificent performance of Miss Deborah Carr. I saw him staring. Who, Miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, Miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he? Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome, and I Perhaps the most controversial concept in human relationships ever presented on the screen. With one of the world's great stars, from the man who directed Room at the Top, a new and adult motion picture experience. Do they, they, they ever return to possess the living? All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does the innocence begin? I kind of already said it. <laughs> We hear a young girl singing the Willow Whaley song. Oh, Willow Whaley, yeah. Yes. It was written by Paul Dean and Georges Arik. When? 1961. He was actually, uh, Georges Arik did the music for this movie. So it was written for this movie. Yeah. And they're pretending like it's a song that was written in the... 1800s, yeah. Okay. And a woman cries and prays very hard, but all we see are her hands. Until at the very end, we see her face, yeah. And she says, all I want to do is save the children. All I want to do is save the children, not destroy them. So, we meet our main character. Deborah Kerr, who plays Miss Giddens. I don't think we ever get a first name. And Miss Giddens has been... Collected by a man who is the uncle of two orphaned children. He is played by Michael Redgrave, but he doesn't actually get a name. He's just the uncle. Oh. Yeah. And he explains that he is a bachelor and selfish and cannot take care of these kids. And he asks her if that is heartless, and she says it's honest but not heartless. I'm pretty sure it is heartless, but... I know she needs a job, and also she's super attracted to him, so <laughs> that plays a part as well. He explains that, you know, she's perfect because he quotes her letter that she sent him that 
The kids need someone to whom they can belong. Well, of course, they need more than a governess. They need affection and love and someone to whom they can belong and who will belong to them. And he explains that he needs her to take the whole thing over. Leave me alone. I don't ever want to hear anything. No letters, no calls, no nothing. You're basically taking care of them until they don't need to be taken care of anymore. <laughs> yes. And she asks about the last woman. And he says the confounded woman died. Yep. Without offering any explanation. And she does not ask for any explanation. Seems like a stupid decision. <laughs> So she decides to take the position, and she's on her carriage ride out there, and when they get to the gates, she says, I'd like to walk from here, because she's just so enamored with Bly Manor. <laughs> and as she's walking through this beautiful estate, she starts to hear a voice calling out for Flora, because we learned earlier that the names of the children are Miles and Flora. Such delightful names, aren't uh -huh. they? Charming names, don't you think? They're actually good names. I like those names. And there is Flora standing by kind of like a marshy area, right? Or is it the lake? I don't know. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get your bearings as to where everything lays on this property. Yeah, they're not as open about the layout as they are in the, in the second film and the new movie. And she has a tortoise named Rupert. A tortoise. Actually a tortoise. This is the thing that people get wrong about turtles and tortoises. Tortoises are the things that you probably see more of. Yes. Turtles have the more webbed feet. They're, they're more water-based. So like when you see a giant, one of these shelled creatures underwater, that's a turtle. But when you see one of those really old ones walking around on land, that's a tortoise. <laughs> she says, were you saying, like, was somebody calling your name? And she goes, no. Nobody was calling my name. What are you talking about? I heard about? somebody was calling out your name. Yeah. So she goes into the house, and it's beautiful, and she'd never imagined it. It is very pretty. Yes. It was filmed in Sussex, England, at a place called Sheffield Park Garden. The whole thing was filmed in Sussex, except for the stuff they filmed in a studio, which was in Surrey. We get to hear a little bit about Miles through Flora. She says that she has a pony, too, but really it belongs to Miles because she's talking about her pets. And Mrs. Gross doesn't allow her to bring the tortoise inside. Yes. Yeah. She explains, Mrs. Gross explains that the children are little angels, but they'll twist you around their fingers if you're not careful. Somehow, during this conversation, accidentally, Mrs. Gross drops that he had the devil's eye. Yeah, exactly what that means is not revealed at this point. Yeah, Miss Giddens is like, who? But in runs Flora, and she's just like, Miles is coming, Miles is coming. And they're both just like, oh, you silly little girl. He's at school. <laughs> He's at school. You know that. And they never explain this. Like, that never comes up again. Why she knew that Miles was coming home. Because they're connected through things I'm not going to say. Because it hasn't been revealed yet. She's out there talking to Flora. And Flora tells her a weird story about Miles. About how Miles says that, like, he saw... Someone waving from the bottom of the, the lake. 
Yeah. And Mrs. Gross just said, stuff and nonsense, stuff and nonsense. Stuff and nonsense, she said. Stuff and nonsense. When they're going to bed, because they're sleeping in the same room, because, you know, why would Miss Giddens ever want privacy? Why would she ever want time away from the kids? Right, yeah. When they're going to bed... Flora says an odd thing about, don't some people get up and walk around after they've died? And Miss Kittens <laughs> is like, what? Miss Kittens, where would the Lord take my soul to? To heaven. Are you certain? Yes, of course, because you're a very, very good girl. But I might not be. And if I weren't, wouldn't the Lord just leave me here to walk around? Isn't that what happens to some people? Miss Kittens is like, wait a minute, there's this weird sound coming from outside. And Flora says, Mrs. Gross says to just pretend like you don't hear anything. That way you don't imagine anything. Yeah. So there's, guys, there's going to be this constant question of if it's real or not. And Chris says that he does not care at all about that conversation. No, I mean, the sounds are real, sure. But like whether or not what ends up happening is real or not is going to be a key question. I would probably land on it is real. And I think that the second movie we're going to watch has a hard stance on whether or not it's real and still tries to have, have its cake and eat it too, which is really fucking annoying. I don't think that's what this is doing. There's a difference between leaving it open to interpretation and having your cake and eating it too. But no, I don't stress out about it. <laughs> I don't worry about it. I like to think about it, but I don't worry about it. It doesn't bother me that it doesn't conclusively say what happens next at the end of this movie. But there is definitely a, okay, what next question. Mm-hmm. So that night, she... Miss Giddens is having a nightmare visibly. She's moving around in her sleep. She's moaning, etc. And we see Flora smile. We never get clarification on that. I mean, she will tell Miles later on in the film about it, and Miles will bring it up that Flora said that she saw her having a nightmare. But, like, they don't bring up the fact that she smiles when she sees it. So then, the next day, Miss Giddens receives some mail Flora wants her to read her mail to her. And something odd happens in this conversation, and Miss Giddens tries to talk to Flora about it, but Flora just ignores her. There's going to be a lot of times where the kids just ignore her. And the weird thing is, is that this does happen sometimes. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot with kids, but it can also happen sometimes with adults. And you never really know how to approach it because it's like you say it twice because, you know, the first time it's like, did they hear me? Uh And then after the second time, you're kind of left wondering, what do I do? Mm -hmm. Do I push the situation or do I just let it go? Let it go. Yeah. And with kids, it's like you usually push because the question is, are they being defiant or is there something that they really do want to tell you but don't feel comfortable telling you and so you have to push for it? You know, like, with kids it makes more sense but when you're talking with adults, it's so uncomfortable. It's just like, you just made this conversation so awkward and I don't know how to talk to you anymore. Like, for the but rest of But is it this. a conversation? If the person won't respond? Yeah. <laughs> well, but what I'm saying is then she changes the subject... Uh-huh, and all which, of a sudden Flora responds. Which, no, Flora changes the subject. 
Out of nowhere, Flora will say, look, a lovely spider eating oh, yeah. a butterfly. And you're and just like, like She'll like touch it and stuff. Oh, I looked away. It was creepy. Oh, but the, this is a cool moment with a sort of depth of field, which is really attractive, that you get these two sort of things. And I wonder exactly how they filmed it because it's going across it. It's going across the screen. So it's not like straight down the middle, like a split diopter sort of thing. And I don't remember if... Miss Giddens is out of focus or not, but I just remember being entranced by that depth of field that that it had. But Miss Giddens has also received a different letter, a letter from Miles School. Yes, which was actually forwarded to her from the uncle yeah. unopened. Yep. And she reads it and she is shocked. So she goes to Mrs. Gross and hands her the letter. And she's like, read it for yourself. And Mrs. Gross is like, I never learned how to read. Yeah. (laughs) So she reads it out loud and she says that they do not provide details. All they say is he is an injury to the others. Yeah, he's a bad influence on the other kids. That's the first time that Miss Giddens kind of starts to really freak out. And she's just like, I can't be around a boy who contaminates and corrupts other kids. But yeah, long story short, he's been expelled and he's coming home. Yes, and Flora is very excited. Yeah. Remember earlier when she said that Miles is coming? Mm-hmm. And so she's really nervous when Miles shows up, but what's the first thing Miles does when he gets off the train? He gives Miss Giddens flowers. Yes, and he's all charm. Yep. He's just the sweetest boy. Maybe a little too charming? Mm-hmm. But he just seems so nice. How could he possibly have been kicked out of school for being a bad influence? Exactly. And he will say that it's so nice to have these lovely holidays. Mm -hmm. He's very polite and refined and yeah. So on the carriage back, Miss Giddens kind of pokes a little bit and she's like, did you have a good term at school? He just like Flora stares out the window and doesn't say anything. Mm Mm-hmm. And she kind of pushes it again, and then he says, you're far too pretty to be a governess, you know. Yeah. And it's like- flirty. But also an underhanded compliment at the same uh time. Yeah. You have a job of a low person. (laughs) (laughs) You're beautiful. Why aren't you more upper class? (laughs) But so when she gets home, she's talking to Mrs. Gross, and Mrs. Gross is like, did you talk to him? And she's like, well, I don't want to spoil his homecoming. I'll ask about it later. She hugs Mrs. Gross here. And she's like, what a comfort you are to me. Because Mm -hmm. otherwise I'd be all alone in this. And they take that away in the new movie. And that sucks. It really does. It really does. I love Mrs. Gross in this. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of what you think of her by the end of the movie or whatever, if you think maybe she's too oblivious to what's actually going on or, you know, anything like that, like she legitimately cares about these children and she's a kind person and she legitimately considers Miss Giddens and what she's thinking and feeling. And she's sort of a well-developed, nice person. The fact that she makes certain decisions and says certain things tells you more about society and social relationships than the new one does, where it's just like, no, Mrs. Gross is just a total bitch, 
and she's all about class and purebreds and, you know, it, it that doesn't tell me anything and it doesn't create a character. I agree. That night, she is walking along the hallway towards Miles' room. She kind of stands outside his door and he says, you might as well come on in. And she seems surprised that he knows that she's there. Mm. And it's like your candle is alight. And, yeah. Uh-huh. And the floors creak. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Duh. But so she goes in to speak with him. She asks him about school. And he says, all of that seems very far away now. And she kind of tries to push for it. And he's like, what did my uncle have to say about it? And she's like, uh, well, he's very busy right now. And he goes, no, I know exactly what he'd say. Don't bother me, because he doesn't care what happens to us. And he says, it's a bit sad when people don't have time for you. Totally playing her, uh-huh. twisting her around his finger. Uh-huh. And she totally buys it. She says, I have time, and I care. And he starts to cry, and she says, trust me. And right when you think he's about to... The window closes and the candle goes out. And he says, Don't be frightened. It was only the wind, my dear. The wind blew it out. In a very creepy kid way. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yeah, they will call her Miss Giddens, dear. Yes. And it's very strange. Well, it's kind of cute. It's very, British. Yeah, 19th century sort of, yeah. And then we get a really legitimately visually creepy scene And the reason I bring that up is because most of this film relies on the acting and the atmosphere. Yes, atmosphere is a big part of it, yeah. But this is like a creepy looking scene where she comes upon this statue and a cockroach comes out. Yeah. And then she's scared and all the sound goes away. Yes. And she looks up and she sees a man... On top of the tower. This is Peter Wingard, who's been in many things, including Flash Gordon. (laughs) He doesn't have a single line in the entire movie. All his shots together add up to, I think, just over a minute. And yet he is second build. Wow. Because he got a good contract. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Good for him. Yes. As she's watching, and it's like against the sun, so it's kind of hard to see. As she's watching, he disappears. Yeah. So... She goes up there, and there's no one there. Except? Except Miles. Playing with his birds. Yes. And he says, I've been alone up here for half an hour. And she goes, that's impossible. I just saw a man up here. Maybe you saw me. No, it was a full-grown man. And he has the balls to say to her, I expect you imagined it. Or else, oh dear, I hope you won't have to wear spectacles. You're much too pretty for that. Oh, yes, I expect I'm tired, but I haven't been sleeping well. I know. Flora told me. She says you make little groans and moans all night. Of course, one can never believe Flora. She invents things. She imagines them. It's interesting because what he's saying could be taken as purely sensical and... Mm-hmm. Hey, maybe you had a nightmare, but it, it's also underhanded. Like, oh, yeah. you, you don't see, you're just seeing things. Mm-hmm. Like he's gaslighting her. In the next shot we see, Miss Giddens is 
inside the house, and Flora comes running inside and says, you must come and see. Miles is on an expedition. He's awfully brave. And when they run out there, there's this, like, weird wind effect going on. Mm -hmm. And again, it really adds to the atmosphere, even though nothing particularly scary is happening in the moment. And... She's visibly, Miss Giddens is visibly nervous for Miles because he's being very reckless on his horse. But when he gets off the horse, she does not say anything to him. She just says, oh, you're very clever, Miles. As they are enjoying the outdoors, she asks them what they hope to do, like in the future or something. And Miles says, wouldn't it be great if everything could just stay as it was? I just want it to be just like this. That night, they really want to play hide-and-seek, even though Mrs. Gross is like, it's their bedtime, and then she she says, they've won you all over already, which they certainly have. Mm-hmm. Miss Kiddens gets no work done with these kids. <laughs> she is the worst teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and as they are playing hide-and-seek in the dark, she sees... A woman walk by. Now, we have been told that there are other people living on the property, but we don't ever meet any of those characters. So, but she calls out the name of the cook or whatever, but the woman does not respond at all. And she winds up in like an attic area, and there's a creepy clown. It's just, its head is moving, uh-huh. which there you go, 1961. They've always been scary. And she finds a music box, and inside is a broken picture of a very handsome man. A devilishly handsome man. (laughs) Suddenly, out of the dark, comes Miles, and he grabs her from behind, and and he's like, oh, did I frighten you? And she's like, yes. And he goes, well, now you're my prisoner. And she's like, you're hurting me. And he's like, I am. He's got her in like a (laughs) chokehold. Yes. And if Flora hadn't come running in, who knows what might have happened. Right. But she comes in all happy like nothing's going on and tells Miss Giddens to hide again. So she does. And she runs into another room where she hides next to French doors where there is a curtain. So she hides behind the curtain. But through the window... Like through the glass of the door, yeah. She sees a man. So she's really close to this glass. And she can't move because she's hiding. And there's a curtain behind her. And then right on the other side of this glass is a dude's face. And this is the same dude that she saw in the tower. Yes. And... The devilishly handsome man she saw in that photo earlier. Which I don't think she realizes that yet. I do not see a likeness. No. (laughs) They are not the same person. No. But so she very bravely and courageously opens the door and is just like, I'm going to deal with you. But there's nobody there. And Mrs. Gross comes in and she's freaking out. And she's just like, I saw him. I saw this guy. Well, yeah, she screams when she sees him, but still opens the door anyway. That's the brave part. Yes. But that's why Miss Gross comes running in. And she's describing him, and Miss Mrs. Gross is just like, it can't be. You're describing Quint. And she's like, well, then, yeah, it was Quint. And Mrs. Gross is like, no, Quint is dead. Yeah. But the problem is, is 
Miss Giddens has already admitted that she saw the picture. So now there's plausibility. You imagined it because you saw the picture. Yep. But she explains he died. He was found dead on the steps. They assume because he got so drunk and plastered that he fell on his own and he slipped on the ice and, and hit his head. Yeah. Which I can totally believe. Yeah, absolutely. Ice is very yeah. uh-huh. dangerous. But she tells the story about the kid's relationship to Quint at this point, particularly Miles, how attached to Quint Miles was. And then at the end of the scene, the kids are at the top of the stairs, apparently listening to all of this and laughing crazily. Yeah. And it's just like, it is very bizarre behavior, but they never address it because it's like, it's just too uncomfortable to address. Yeah, it's like, that's weird. Kids are weird sometimes. Exactly. The next day, Flora is being a little terror. And Miss Giddens is kind of a little bit snippy with her, but also still being kind. So Miles takes it upon himself to to yell at her, you're begging for attention and affection. That's all you're doing. And it is. It is exactly what mm-hmm. she's doing. But it's also very, like, adult of Miles. Yes. Yes. And so Miss Giddens ends up comforting Flora. And Flora's apologizing, saying, I'm sorry I've been so awful today. And instead of saying it's okay, you know, we all make mistakes You'll be better next time. Let's get back to work. Instead of that, she's like, let's pretend it's Flora's birthday and just so call weird. it a call it a day for so work. Weird. Bad teacher. <laughs> Terrible. So they're like, awesome. Let's and she's like, what do you want to do? And they're like, let's have a party. Let's have a costume party. So they run upstairs to get into costumes. And as they run away. She comes upon Mrs. Gross, who overhears her say to herself, I let them go. Don't let them go. And she's like, what? And this is when Mrs. Gross tells about who who he was, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. The kids eventually come down, and Miles and her are dressed up as like a king and a queen or uh-huh. something like that. And he recites a very adult, creepy poem. Do you know what that poem is? Apparently, this is one of the contributions that Truman Capote made to the film. It's not a pre-existing monologue or poem or whatever. Oh, interesting. But can you tell us what the poem is about? My Lord is Coming? Yeah, it's about a lost lord rising from the grave. So he's talking about Quint. Yes. This is when Miss Giddens is like, Ein Minuten bitte. Yes. And she the gets kid, really creeped out. The kid does an excellent job here. Yeah. He is super creepy, but also has complete deniability of being creepy uh-huh. at the same time. And that is hard for an adult to do. So it's very impressive when a kid can do it. And seamlessly. It was very good. Did that kid ever do anything with his acting career? Well, he didn't do much. He stopped acting after 1966. As far as I'm aware, he's still alive. But right before this, he was one of the kids in Village of the Damned. Nice. In 1960. So there you go. Nice. (laughs) It's probably where he got. He's probably just taking that same character. And yeah. So it's after he finishes reciting and the kids go off to bed. That Miss Giddens is like, I think Miles might know. 
I think Miles might not be as innocent as we thought he was. Mm-hmm. And she says to Mrs. Gross, he's playing a game. They're playing a, a monstrous game. But Mrs. Gross is, you know, stuff and nonsense, stuff and nonsense. And she asks her more about Quint. And she asks her, you were afraid of him, weren't you? And she goes, it doesn't matter. That's over and done with. To which Miss Giddens says, yes, but is it? Bum, bum, bum. The next day, Miss Giddens and Flora are outside. And Flora is singing the Willow Whaley song. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that Miss Giddens has found the music box that had the picture inside of it, she knows that that song comes from the music box. And she asks her about that, but Flora just ignores her again. Mm-hmm. And as they're sitting there, we get this really creepy music. It's really well done. Again, subtle, but very creepy at the same time. And they're sitting there on the, the riverbank, and she looks out... And there is a woman in black floating on top of the water. And it's well done. It's very, very creepy. Yeah, and the assumption here is that this is Miss Jessel, the previous governess. Yes. Who, just like Miles was really attached to Quint, Flora was really attached to Miss Jessel's. Yes. She thinks that Flora sees her. And she points at her and she's like, Flora, who is it? Who is that person? And Flora looks at her like, what are you talking about? And I don't think, if I were to base my opinion on Flora's acting alone, I would assume that she actually did not see anything. The way that the girl portrays it. I agree, which is why, you know, the question becomes... Is this stuff really happening, or is Miss Giddens just going off her rocker? Right, and it it frustrates me that we don't get a clarification there. I think you can be perfectly content in the understanding that this is really happening. I think the movie supports it, absolutely. But if you want to question, yeah, but what if, I think there's enough room for that. But if you were to ask me to come to a conclusion, I would say that, yes, it is real in this instance. It is still the case with the book, too, where it wasn't until years after it was published that writers started hypothesizing that it was all in her head. But when it was first released, everyone just took for granted that, no, it was really happening. Interesting. But so later that day, she's Miss Giddens is talking to Mrs. Gross, and she's like, I saw Miss Jessel, and so did Flora. And she's like, Flora saw her? And she goes, yes, she did, but she lied about it. <laughs> Flora saw her, too. Did she tell you so? No, of course not. She lied to me. Well, it amounted to a lie. Oh, now, miss, I've never known either of the children to tell lies. Or why would they? Why? Because they are both playing or being made to play some monstrous game. She's describing the game that they're playing, and she's just like, it's indecent. They are in dreadful peril. Do you think I'm in, I'm imagining this? And Mrs. Gross gives a, a an answer of no. Yeah. She says, I do not think you're imagining it. Which I think is odd. Because in every other part of the film, she's very much on the fence. This is the one time that she 
kind of clarifies and says, no, I don't think you're imagining it. Right. But she's also in, you know, uneducated, traditional sort of woman from the country, you know, serving in this estate where she doesn't have any influence from anyone else. Like, so she might be a little superstitious here, especially when it's around here somewhere that she tells Miss Giddens, like, the real relationship between Jessel and Quint. It is, and in fact, in this moment. Right. This is when we will find out, yes, about the relationship between Miss Jessel and Quint. And he, it's interesting, in this version. Oh, it's way different than the turning. Yes. Yeah. I wonder what it is in the book. I assume it's this version. Wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's this version, yeah. I would assume so. Yeah. But I don't know. I've never read the book. But so what we find out is Quint was this awful, awful man. And Miss Jessel, for whatever reason, was head over heels in love with him. And he was just a total asshole to her. He really, really mistreated her. But it seemed to Mrs. Gross like the more he mistreated her, the more she fell in love with him. Yes. Yes. They would flaunt their affections, I guess is the best way to say. They would basically be fucking anywhere and everywhere in front of the other staff and even in front of the kids. They didn't care if the adults saw them. And when she asks her, what about the kids? Mrs. Gross says, I don't know. What the movie heavily implies later is that, yes, the kids were watching. Uh Uh-huh. Which, I mean, think about that. This movie is based on a book written in 1898. Yeah. Very scandalous. scandalous, yeah. So after she tells her, I don't know what the kids saw, Miss Giddens comes to her own conclusion, and she is probably correct that the kids did see it. And she says, I believe that the kids are deceiving us. Yeah. And she forces Mrs. Gross to tell her how Miss Jessel died. And Miss Jessel says, I guess you could call it she died of a broken heart. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't sleep. This is after Quint died. Yes. Quint died first. And so out of a broken heart, Mrs. Gross says she just kind of withered away. Mm -hmm. Another reversal from the 2020 version, by the way. This is when Miss Giddens decides, I've got to talk to the uncle. And Mrs. Gross is like, wait a minute, what about a scandal? You could fuck us over. And she's just like, it it has to be done. This is too scary. This is too dangerous. And she dreams that night all about Miss Jessel and Quint having this affair. Oh, you guys might be wondering why they would allow Quint to behave this way. It's because he was the... He was the only man on the property, right? Except for the gardener or something like that. Right, but he was given the estate. He was supposed to take care of the estate. Yeah. So he was the man in charge on the property. Yes. And so he got to do whatever he wanted to do. uh And so she dreams of them doing nasty things in front of children. And she's so upset by her dream that she goes to Miss, Mrs. Gross and she's like, How did Miss Jessel die? Please, Miss, we'll be late. How did she die? And she explains, She put an end to herself. She was found in the lake. Drowned. Uh-huh. 
And so that is the woman that she has been seeing on the lake, all yep. in black. And so the conclusion that Miss Giddens comes to is that because of the tragic deaths of these people that were such powerful presences on the property and such powerful influences on the children that their spirits remain on the property and occasionally, but not all the time, are inhabiting or at least influencing the children so they can carry on their relationship. Yes. That day, Miss Giddens is cleaning things up in the in the schoolroom, and she hears someone crying, and she turns and she sees Miss Jessel crying at the at the school desk, and it is very creepy looking. Yeah, uh-huh. It's very creepy sounding. And as she walks toward her, eventually Miss Jessel disappears. But what is left? A teardrop, yeah. Sometimes I have a hard time remembering what is from this and what is from the 2020 version. And I could have sworn that was in the 2020 version. But I think a lot of it has to do with how well shot this one is. It's just, everything is so clean and sharp and... They do a lot with shadow in this. Mm -hmm. Apparently, the lights were so bright. Like, just anyway, when you're filming on film, your lights need to be brighter anyway, just because of the way film absorbs light. And they had especially bright lights on set here, so they could accentuate the shadows and uh, really, really brighten up the foreground of the character when she's walking with the candelabra and stuff like that. And it just feels so crisp and effective that it kind of fools me into thinking that it's, you know, like a modern film <laughs> shot with on digital. But no, it's all in-camera work. And it's very impressive. There is a rumor going around that Deborah Kerr would wear sunglasses between shots because the lights were so bright on the set. I believe that. It's after she finds this tear that she says to Mrs. Gross, everything has changed. We must never let the children out of our sight. They will possess the souls of the children. Are you ready, miss? I'm not going. Everything has changed. Are you ill? Where are the children? Anna's giving them their milk. Carriage is ready, miss. From now on, we must never let them out of our sight. We can't take the slightest chance. Of what? She was here. She was waiting for me. Who? She spoke. She spoke? It came to that. Oh, I could feel pity for her. If she herself were not so pitiless. And hungry, hungry for him, for his arms and his lips. But she can only reach him. They can only reach each other by entering the souls of the children and possessing them. The children are possessed. They live and know and share this Hell. Yep, she is dead certain about this, too. Yes. That night, we get more creepy voices in the hallways, more creepy, obvious sex in front of children. But then she comes upon Flora, 
who's awake in the middle of the night. And she says, somebody's walking in the garden. And she looks out. Miles! Uh-huh. So she gets him back into bed, and she's like, what the fuck, Miles? And he's like, were you very mad? That's exactly what I wanted. Wasn't my being good getting boring? Yeah, he felt like he was getting boring, and he needed to shake things up, and him and Flora planned this together as a little joke. But then she finds something not so jokey under his pillow. Do you know what it is? It is a one of his uh, doves or pigeons. They're doves, right? I have no uh, idea. With a broken neck. She's like, it kind of looks like, and then he finishes her sentence, someone broke its neck. Yeah, uh-huh. as opposed to it, its neck got broken because it hit a wall or a glass or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, no, I wanted to keep it warm, keep it warm until I could bury it. Which is weird. Very weird. Yeah. But she's about to go and leave, and what does he do? He kisses her. On the lips. And for, like, a good couple seconds, not yeah. like a peck. And, but it's long enough so you could see her eyes. And her, like, whoa, this is, whoa. And then, oh, God, this is really uncomfortable. And then she starts to get even a little scared a little bit. Like, you can see it in her eyes, but she's like, no, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And he asks her, you're going to be writing to uh, my uncle, aren't you? And she's just like, maybe. And he's like, send him my love. So you might be thinking that maybe he's doing this to get the attention of the uncle, but that's not that's what's not going what's on. No. I think he knows that the uncle's not going to care, and the uncle is going to like chide any communication or just not respond to it at all. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, yeah, be my guest. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But again... More adult behavior. These sort of long, passionate kisses that this little kid is performing. Like, mm-hmm. creepy. Yes. Very much so. So the next day, Miles distracts Miss Giddens while Flora runs away. And she's very mad about it. She She's talking to Mrs. Gross and she's like, oh, he planned it perfectly. <laughs> and uh, and she, Mrs. Gross is like, what are you so upset about? She's just a kid. She's like, she's not a child. Because the implication she's an adult. Yeah. is that she is a woman. Uh-huh. Miss Jessel. But when she comes upon her, she's just dancing. Now, we do know that Miss Jessel was a dancer. Yeah. And would dance with Flora all the time. But that that's also another indicator that Flora would know these dances. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like in this gazebo across the lake, and she took a boat to get there. At one point, a little bit later, Miss Giddens is going to be like, how did you row a boat by yourself? You're just a little girl. Like, who taught you how to row the boat? And she says, Miles taught me. Yeah. She gets to her somehow. They say that she had to take a boat to get to this gazebo. But, but Miss Giddens, Ms. Giddens just there. walks there. So I guess it's just on the other side of the lake mm-hmm. and not like on an island or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she approaches her and then it starts raining hard and very obviously from rain machines. <laughs> the way you see it like curtain over the lake like that. It's like, <laughs> nah, that's not real. You've never seen rain do that? Not rhythmically and repeatedly like it's a rain machine sweeping back and forth. Oh, okay. Yes, I have seen it come down in varying degrees of <laughs> of uh, density and make a pattern across the water. Yes, I have seen that. But the way it kind of goes back and forth like it's this rain machine, yeah. <laughs> 
So she's dancing along to the music box, and she kind of, she asks her, where did you get the music box? And Flora very flippantly says, I don't remember. And then Mrs. Gross comes calling, and Flora goes, oh, yeah, no, I know, Mrs. Gross gave it to me. Miss Giddens gets pissed at her at this. Well, because also Miss Giddens sees... Miss Jessel across the water. And she's like, admit that you see her! And as Mrs. Gross is coming up, she's like berating this little girl about the fact that you see her, you know you see her, until Flora starts like getting really upset. And is it because she sees Miss Jessel and doesn't want to admit it because it's her own little secret that she gets to keep this relationship with Miss Jessel ongoing and nobody can know? Or because she's being traumatized by this crazy woman who's screaming at her? Mm-hmm. There's no way to know. But Flora loses her mind. And yes. another little indication here is that she starts going off and they talk about it, but we don't really ever hear it at this point. Because they weren't going to have a girl say no, bad words. exactly. They talk about like, oh my God, I've never heard a little girl use that kind of language before. Mm-hmm. But really all she says is, make her stop. I can't. I don't like her. She frightens me. Yeah. Uh-huh. But when Mrs. Gross and Miss Giddens talk about it later, they talk about how obscene she was. To hear such filth from yeah. a child's uh-huh. mouth. <laughs> But it's interesting because, first of all, when Miss Giddens first comes inside, they can hear Flora screaming her head off, and Miles smiles. Yeah. This is like a while later. Mrs. Gross carries Flora off, and then Miss Giddens comes back on her own, and by the time Miss Giddens comes back, she is still screaming and crying and cussing her head off in yes. her room. And yeah, you can hear it throughout the entire house. And when Miss Giddens comes in, she sees Miles. And I think he's just like sitting in a chair or something like that. And he smiles at her. It's very creepy. Yeah. But so she's talking to Miss Gross. And she's just like, I can't believe she pretended that she couldn't see her. Can you believe she did that? And Mrs. Gross is like, I don't know. She's like, well, you saw her. Mrs. Gross is like, no, I didn't. Yeah. (laughs) And Miss Giddens flips her shit, and Uh she's just like, you two pretend to be a complete innocent? You two turn on me? Innocent. This is when Mrs. Gross is like, you know what? These kids were perfectly fine until you got here. Yes. But what she says specifically She was fine until you made her face. Yes. And then she stops. Yep. And Miss Giddens says, the ghost. And Mrs. Gross says, the memory. Has she mentioned it? Mentioned Miss Jessel? Only to say there was no one there. And you pretended to believe her. I didn't have to pretend. Well, how can you say that? As though you... You two were a complete innocent... You lived here. You knew those two. You knew them when they were alive, and you knew what sort of influence they were on the children, and it frightened you. When I came here, you were still frightened. Oh, you were. I sensed it. And why? Because you felt they weren't really dead. And now, despite all that, you turn on me. You blame me. And all I want to do is save the children, not destroy them. Don't you know that? All I know is Miss Flora was a sweet, innocent child, a happy child, until you made her face that... That woman, say it! That bad memory. Exactly, because she doesn't want to go so far as to admit that there's really something creepy going on. Because I think really what Mrs. Gross represents in this movie is 
denial and staying the course and just pretending everything's okay and it will be okay. Just like she tells Flora to just ignore the weird sounds you hear and then your imagination won't run away with itself. That's what Mrs. Gross is to this plot and to the character interactions. She represents denial. Yeah, Mrs. Gross will say it's cruel to wake a child from a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, it's the shock. They can't handle it. Miss Giddens is like, that is some bullshit. And I'm in charge here, so you can shut the fuck up, Mrs. Gross. And I'm going to talk to the uncle. Or you need to talk to the uncle. And she's like, well, what should I say? And Miss Giddens is like, the truth. Yeah. And this is where, like, Mrs. Gross is kind of like, okay. And you don't know, does that mean she's going to finally admit to what's going on or she's like okay if you want me to tell the truth it's not gonna look good for you yeah exactly exactly we don't know Mm -hmm. and i agree that that really adds to the mystery of the film yeah but it is frustrating i think it is heavily implied by the movie that yes it's real so she also tells mrs gross you've got to take flora and get the hell out of here go see the uncle Mm -hmm. because clearly flora can't handle being around me right now but also she's kind of had her epiphany moment and that's why she's freaking out right now miles is still like deeply entrenched in this possession yes and so i need to stay and fix miles and flora cannot be here for this yes she asks mrs gross did you take the letter i was writing to the uncle and she's like, no. And Miss Giddens is like, of course, of course it was Miles. And Mrs. Gross is like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go get him? And she's like, no, he'll come to me. Yeah, I'll just stay here. He'll come to me. And he does. So they send Mrs. Gross and Flora away. We see them uh, right away in the carriage. To London. To London, yes. And Flora does not look at Miss Giddens. Nope. Very pointedly. Uh, And so Miss Giddens is left there alone, not knowing where Miles is. But he does eventually come to her. He comes upon her and she's very upset. And she raises her voice and he ignores what she's yelling at him for. He's just like, don't yell. It makes you look ugly and cruel. Uh Uh-huh. And she's just like, you need to admit to me why you got sent home from school. And he goes, it's because I'm different. (laughs) And she goes, no, you're not. You're just like every other boy. And he's like, now who's the liar? Uh You don't think I'm like every other boy. You are frightened of me. I know this. Mm -hmm. And this is like the first time that he's admitting, like, I I know know I scare you. Yeah. Yeah, uh I know what you think about me. I kind of like that he never admits it here until now. Yeah. Whereas in the in the new film, it just feels more like It feels like, like he's a, trying to be a total prick to her. It yeah. feels like he's just an annoying teenager. Exactly. It's so not scary, especially compared with this little boy who is so much scarier. Yeah. So she pushes him on, tell me, why were you really expelled? Did you notice in this scene, okay, so I think they're in a greenhouse. They are, yeah, uh in a conservatory or whatever. They are sweating bullets. Because the lights, man. I know, that's what (laughs) I was going to say, if you think it's because of the lights, because they are- Also, those spaces are usually pretty humid. Yeah. Yeah. But they are just, both of them are Mm -hmm. covered in sweat in this scene. This is when he finally says it. 
He says, I hurt things sometimes at night, and they would scream, and I would frighten the other boys. Yep. So I think the implication is that he's hurting animals, which is really interesting because we didn't know that was a sign of serial, serial killers. killers until Yeah, sociopathy, the 80s. yeah, uh-huh. So it's interesting that they've said that. And that brings up the pigeon, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I guess, I mean, how much thought does it really take if your kid is killing animals? Yes, exactly. Probably going to be bad. But like. But we didn't add it to a profile of serial killers. Yeah, but even still, he's not a serial killer, or at least not yet. We might have grown up to be one. We just need to know that it's fucking creepy. That's all that it takes here. And exactly. And this is an interesting element, too, because it makes you wonder. Is that really what's going on? Is it just that he also has psychiatric issues? Mm -hmm. You know, and she's the one that's turning it into a ghost story. But something happens here that convinces her that she is right. What is that? Well, he starts to get very upset because she keeps pushing him on Uh the subject. And he goes, I know what you're afraid of. You're afraid that you're mad. Well, you are. Uh-huh. I know what you are. And this is the first time we see him like laughing maniacally. He just calls at her, her names. Yes. He says, you hussy, you old mm-hmm. hag. It's because you're afraid. You're afraid you might be mad. So you keep on and on trying to make me admit something that isn't true. Trying to frighten me the way you frighten Flora. But I'm not Flora. I'm no baby. You think you can run to my uncle with a lot of lies. But he won't believe you. Not when I tell him what you are. A damn hussy. A damn dirty-minded hag. You never fooled us. We always knew. <laughs> <laughs> And he starts laughing, and Miss Giddens sees him laughing maniacally, and then outside the window sees Quint also laughing along with him. And she's like, son of a bitch, I knew it! He is possessing you, and that's why you're behaving this way. Yeah, and then he, like, falls, I think, here, and he's, like, crying, and he says, forgive me, I didn't mean it. And she just says, oh, those weren't your words. And that's when he's like, wait a minute, what do you mean those weren't my words? It's like, those were my words. I'm trying to apologize to you because I think I have a problem. (laughs) And you're trying to tell me there's a ghost here? What the fuck? And the kid says, you're wrong. You're insane. And what does the kid do? He runs outside, I think. He takes Flora's tortoise And chucks it out the window. Does he? I wrote, whoop, there goes the tortoise out the window. And then runs off. (laughs) Oh my god, I didn't notice that. Because he like had it in his hands this whole time. Yeah, I remember him playing with it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Poor thing. But so yeah, so he goes running outside. And again... The kid plays it masterfully because the way he plays it, it could totally be read, like I said, as a kid actually reaching out like, I need psychiatric help. Yeah. And uh-huh. then the other person being like, you're being possessed. <laughs> and the kid's like, you're insane. But that paranoia, that not knowing adds to the tension for me. Yes, it does. Because, again, it can also be seen as he just doesn't want to face the fact that he's being possessed. Yeah. It could be read either way. Mm-hmm. And the kid the kid shows both on his uh-huh. face. And it's impressive, which is why it's sad that this kid didn't continue to work in he film. He became an architect 
and a meditation teacher, apparently. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> So he runs out and she catches up with him in the garden, right? Yeah. And she is shouting at Quint. And this is when the kid will run up, almost like, okay, prove it to me. And he's like, where are you? Where the devil are you? <laughs> Looking for Quint. Because, I mean, in this moment, he's showing us that he really doesn't see him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because she sees him on a pedestal where... A statue normally is. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't see him there. Mm -hmm. Whether it's because her insistence that something is really going on and he's a little child. So he's kind of forced to believe her and get wrapped up in it as well. I don't know. That could absolutely be the one way of reading it. Or you could read it as perhaps Quint never actually showed himself to the uh -huh. kid. To keep that air of mystery, even though the kid's kind of aware of it at the same time. Who knows? Yeah. And that is intriguing. It's also frustrating. Yeah, I understand. But I'm fine with it. And so she keeps pressing him as he as he's shouting to, like, say his name. You know who I'm talking about. Say his name. And he keeps then finally breaks and starts shouting Quint until finally he just kind of gasps and then passes out collapses on the floor and then she looks and quint is gone and she's like job done <laughs> fixed him and goes to little miles body on the ground and picks him up he's like come on miles time to go now <laughs> but his body is lifeless yes and he doesn't regain consciousness and she starts panicking and freaking out and as she's urging him that, like, you're free, it's totally fine now, just wake up, she realizes he's dead. And this is kind of, well, it kind of loops back around here. To she, her hands Yeah, praying. she kisses him, right? And then, it's, and this is more of, like, a pure love, sort of, like, not sexual at all. I actually kind of, of disagree. I, I wrote down, I think it's a weird kiss. I wasn't going to say it because I assume most people will read it the way you do. Yeah. And most people would be like, Kelsey, it's very obviously just her being sad that a kid died. What's uh -huh. wrong with you? But honestly, in her performance, I thought it was a little strange. And it could be read both ways. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is where the movie ends. Uh, sort of looping back around on itself, we we see that moment where she's she's praying. I just want to save the children, but I killed one. Won't anyone please think of the children? <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Yeah. So what next? Um, you sent the only two other people on the property away, and then this kid's dead. Yeah. You are going to prison. Also, it's funny because the last thing she said to Mrs. Gross is, please don't judge me until after you've seen Miles. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about is the really fucking complicated and long crossfades between scenes in this movie. Much, much longer than traditionally would have been accepted at the time. I thought that that was pretty fun, and it accentuated the tone of the film throughout. Someone says that an audio clip from this movie is in the film that they watch in The Ring. I wasn't able to confirm that before this recording, but 
if I can, I will post a comparison on Twitter. So follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about this movie, Kelsey? I mean, other than general thoughts, because we'll be talking about that in just a second here. No. What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? 93. So close. It is a beloved film. 94%. Creepily atmospheric, The Innocence is a stylishly crafted, chilling British ghost tale with Deborah Kerr at her finest. Metacritic of 78. No cinema score, of course. 78? Yeah, but that's averages. And the farther away you get from the center, the the harder it is to get progress. Do you think it's overrated or underrated? I think it's pretty close to being right on target. What would you give it? This is really hard. Because I really, really like it. I would totally watch it again. I would recommend people watch it. It just lags a little bit sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have said. It's it just as much of a proponent of patience as I am in direction and cinematography. I I feel like I have to lay this on the feet of the director and even the writers. I think the cinematographer did a fantastic job, but in its faults in this way where it just feels like. Okay, there were parts where, and I bet you it was just because I was completely exhausted, I was, like, starting to fall asleep. And that's never a good sign. But it was very good. And it pissed me off that I was falling asleep. <laughs> and you see what I mean? Like, I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Because I enjoyed it so much. So what would you give it? I will give it a 93. Okay. I think I'll give it a 90. Not quite as high. But I, I, I do think it's pretty stellar. It's beautiful. The acting is great. Remarkably, the children are fantastic in this movie, especially Miles. Mm-hmm. And I love the way it carries that. It like walks that tightrope of real or not very effectively all the way to the bitter end. And I really appreciated that. In the end, it seems like it has to be real because why else would the kid have died? <laughs> uh-huh. Like, there's no reason that the kid died. That is true. <laughs> is it like his heart just stops? <laughs> if it's fake. If it's real, you could think like, oh, the trauma of having this spirit release him killed him. Took exactly. all the energy out of him. Exactly. He was so, he was so possessed that losing that... It's took away shock. too much. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's the shock of being woken. Mrs. Groves understood. Uh-huh. That's that's a good point, actually. It's the shock of being woken up. That's very interesting. Hmm. But very, very good. And if you didn't watch it, you still should. Absolutely. Agreed. Well, before we get to our next movie in this double feature, Kelsey. <laughs> Horror trivia. The female lead in this film finds herself followed by an invisible force after sleeping with her boyfriend. The female lead in this film finds herself followed by an... Oh, it, it follows. <laughs> yeah, they, I, I wish I had read it before because uh-huh, I would have certainly took the follows, word fucking yeah. followed out of that question. I, it, I realized it before I said, and then 
And then I was like, oh, they even said follows. And then I answered. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, Kelsey. Jolie Richardson played Darla Mandel, the mom, in 2020's The Turning. How many of her family members have also appeared in adaptations of The Turn of the Screw? I don't think you're going to know this, but I think it's remarkable. I wonder if you can guess it. Four. Well, four total. Three of her family members. Her grandfather was Michael Redgrave, who played the uncle in this version that we just saw. Her aunt is Lynn Redgrave, the famous actress who was the governess in the 1974 version of this movie. Mm. And... Her uncle, Corin, was a character called The Professor in the 2009 version of Turn of the Screw. So four people in her family were in adaptations of The Turn of the Screw. How interesting. Yeah, it is. And that takes us right into 2020's The Turn of the Screw, directed by Floria Sigismondi. Sigismondi, I do not know. Uh, screenplay by Chad and Corey W. Hayes. These are twins. We talked about them recently in our House of Wax episode because they wrote the script to the remake of the House of Wax. Oh, okay. They also, we talked about, they also wrote the Conjuring movies, etc. And of course, again, this is based on the story of The Turn of the Screw by Henry James. Starring Mackenzie Davis, Finn Wolfhard, and Brooklyn Prince. What is The Turning about, Kelsey? It's the same movie. It's the same premise. Yeah. Yes. Same premise. In the early 90s. Oh, yeah. It takes place in the in 1994, I want to say. It's I Kurt Cobain's yeah, death. Yeah, that's the year that Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. It is $6 to rent and $20 to buy on most services because it is a brand new movie. It came out in January. Should people watch this version, Kelsey? I'm going to go with no, guys. I'm going to go with no, too. <laughs> it no good. It's... It's not scary. It makes... It has jump scares it that has, do work. No, but it's every trope in the book. It is. Everything it is. you see coming. There's nothing unique yeah. about this film. Even the cheap-ass, cheaty sort of scares that are absolutely ridiculous and don't make sense in like a cohesive way in the universe of uh, that the movie's taking place in. And... It's one of those things where they understand the aesthetics of horror, but they don't know why it works and they can't <laughs> replicate it properly. Mm-hmm. It really bothers me. Yes. And I really don't think it's Finn's fault here. I really don't. I mean, like I said earlier, I don't think he has that great a range. <laughs> I really do like him. <laughs> I don't think his range is that great. And I don't know. I think he does an outstanding job on Stranger Things. Sure. But he's asked to play a single character with limited range in that, too. And he's in the new Ghostbusters movie that's coming out. Hey, I'm excited about that. He's in he It. He wasn't great in It, but he was one he was of the better in kids it. in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, like, he's kind of just playing the same character. And now, like, okay, this character, grow him up a little bit and make him a fucking dickhead teenager and that's all he is yeah he's just he's just an annoying 13 how am i supposed to be scared of that there's nothing scary about it the only thing that i can relate to as it being scary is the fact that i'm a teacher 
And I know what it's like to have a kid be a dick to you. Oh, yeah. And you not be able to respond in, in the way that you would like to respond. <laughs> However, his behavior, I'm not she saying doesn't need this job. Right. <laughs> I'm not saying his behavior is unrealistic. Right. I'm just saying that it's not scary. In whatsoever. any way. It is just irritating. I mean, Kelsey talks about how the jump scares work, but she is pretty susceptible to jump scares. <laughs> I'm not. And fucking nothing about this movie was scary. <laughs> this is not like an I'm better than you thing, just FYI. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and the ending. It is a garbage ending. Yes. Just garbage. They actually had a glimmer of hope at the end, and then they just took mm-hmm. it away. And it's like, oh, but it's really saying, no, 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 I get what it's saying. It's just stupid. (laughs) Well, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 2020's The Turning. This can't be real. Have you ever been a nanny? This is my first live-in job. What if you and I go get some ice cream? Flora doesn't leave the property. What? I know what you're afraid of. Bad dreams? The Turning, rated PG-13. Kelsey, can you get us started? How does The Turning begin? We get to see Miss Jessel running away from Bly Manor, and they are telling us right off the bat that this is close to present day, at least close to present day, because she has a car. And... We see the little girl standing there and she puts her hand on the window, which might make you think that like she has some sort of power because when Miss Jessel gets to the gate, she has to run out and open up the gate. But little girl has zero power. Yeah, that's they're just trying to be creepy. And a lot of this movie is going to be just that. Very much so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then who we assume because we've seen the original film is Quint. Who we assume is Quint, but also the ghost of Quint, uh-huh. comes up to the door. And I'm pretty sure they did that on purpose because he does have kind of a ghostly visage. Right, but what we find out about this story, what this what this story... I don't know, because the movie's not clear about this. Oh, no, it's very clear. I know I'm wrong. Right. He's alive. Yeah, He's Quint dies alive. after Jessel. Yes. They changed that here. Because because I was thinking maybe I got it wrong and Quint is murdered to stop him from abusing Jessel and then Jessel is attacked by his ghost. But I, that's not what the movie outright says. No, the movie outright says that he murders Miss Jessel. But then it's not clear about how Quint died because what we're told is Quint is drunk on his horse and falls and dies. But then later, Mrs. Gross will act as if well, oh, she'll, she'll say she'll admit she killed. I him. made sure of it. Yeah, but then, but then we're not clear on if that scene even ever actually happened. Right. So right. the movie tells us that he killed Miss Jessel, but how he died is very unclear. So cut to our main character of what's her name in this? Katie Mandel. Kate Mandel. Kate Mandel. They don't even call her Kate Giddens. No. Okay, there you go. But we'll know her as Kate, and she's played by... Mackenzie Davis, who is in Dark Fate. She's the... Oh, we didn't see that, She's the tough girl from Dark Fate. 
She was also in Halt and Catch Fire, which I still haven't seen. Right. She's in Blade Runner 2049. And, As who? Uh, Mariette. Oh, I don't she's the. She's one of the prostitute ones. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's where I know her from. Because uh-huh. I was like, I know I've seen her. That's what it was. So she is going to be a live-in tutor. Which is weird because they act as if she's coming from, like, a public school? Or it does, doesn't really matter. She's coming from a public or a private school. She already has a job as a teacher. But and that's the school not... put her up for this position as being a live-in tutor for these kids. It seems odd. It seems odd that a school would do that. I mean, unless it's like a boarding school. It, it just seems... It seems weird that they would have a person who works in a classroom setting because we do have this. We have kids that are so sick that they can't go into school, but you know what we do? We pay those teachers extra and they go to the, the school, the house. Right, right, right. But you're, I think you're confusing things. She's not getting paid by the school to do this. The school recommended her for the position. She's being paid by the estate or whatever. She's not working for the school anymore after she does this. She has to I resign. like that you say that she's getting paid by the estate because yes. who oh, the guardian is? Can we talk is? about that? Who the guardian is this time? There is no guardian. They just say we're not even going to talk about it. As if any government would be totally fine with these kids just having no parents, no guardians, and just both of their parents die. And we're just, well, I guess we'll just send them to live with the help. Yeah, no. Like, there's no administrator of the estate. There's no (laughs) uncle in this version that hires her. It's just this entity that she just goes to work for. And I guess that's supposed to make it creepier or something. I don't know. It just seems fucking lazy. It is lazy. That's exactly what it is. They would be wards of the state immediately. Yes, exactly. Because instead of dealing with the uncle situation... We have her go deal with her mother situation. Yes. I I get the feeling, guys, that we're going to get really angry during this conversation. So let me just, I think we should, I think it would be better if we just air them out, our problems as we go, rather than waiting. Oh, no, and no, letting no. Them we're not going to, I'm not going to wait to talk about issues as if, you know, avoid, avoid, avoiding spoilers. We already told you don't watch this movie. Okay. Like. In that case, let's just deal with the mother right okay. now. What's the first thing you thought? When you saw that the mother was in an asylum and doing artwork. Yeah, I definitely thought that the artwork was going to tell her something. Yeah, it was going to relate to the adventure somehow as if her mother was psychic. Which, by the way, I think I'm over that trope of <laughs> the, 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 the psychic family member that tries to Ill- help you but then never actually does. No, I mean the... Because uh, that's a Stephen King trope. The mentally challenged person who is actually just psychic and they're not crazy. They just see the truth and we don't understand it. You know Again, what I mean? Again, a like, Stephen King trope. <laughs> well, it's annoying because it's like, it, it feels like a mistreatment of people that actually have psychological issues. It feels like an exploitation of them and a, a misunderstanding of what's going on. And I don't, I don't like it. I don't think. I also find it hilarious that they wanted to make... <laughs> Look, insane asylums are creepy enough. 
Yeah. You don't need to put her in the bottom of a pool. Yeah, an empty pool as if everyone would be okay with this and they wouldn't actually use the pool for anything. (laughs) But here's the thing, guys. Yes, it does wrap back around. The mother is going to send her artwork and that's in both versions of the ending. The, The movie has two endings. One ending where she gets out just fine. Oh, it's like The Descent. Yes. Oh, exactly like The Descent. That's a very good point. I was I was likening it more to Clue, where it's like, oh, but this is what really happened. Like, yeah, that could have happened, but this is what really happened. One is she gets the kids, they get out, and everything's happy and, and fine, and then they don't, don't actually do a rewind. It's just cut to that scene where she's looking at her mom's artwork again, and what if it happened this way instead? And it's really that Kate has gone insane. There are no ghosts. And she's just going crazy this entire time. And then cut to her back at the asylum visiting her mom. Her mom turns around. And when Kate sees her mom's face, she, (gasps) we don't see what it is. And then credits. Which I think they took from Insidious because they had no idea why that worked so well for Insidious. I think what she's seeing is that it's really herself. Yes. And it's the realization that she's actually crazy just like her mom was. Yes, that's exactly what they're saying. But they took the scare factor from Insidious, which uh was offensive because they had no idea why that worked so well. Exactly. Exactly. It's really frustrating that they they try to come down hard on one side of this line of is she – is she just seeing things? Is she going crazy? Is she losing her mind? Or is the place really haunted? Are these ghosts actually there? They come down hard on one side, but they explicitly try to have, like in the in the original, it was, we don't know which side it is and what you see on screen could support either side. This is, no, we're going to show you two different versions of events that expressly say one thing or the other. And we're going to select one of those as the absolute truth, but still show you both. Which and that's was really odd, frustrating. And, and which was odd because it really didn't fall in line with kind of the feminist undertones that you felt were going on here. Yeah. I mean, obviously this story has some feminism in it, but this movie, it really felt like they were kind of try and make it mm-hmm. about that. But then they totally undermine that no, with their ending. No, they exploit that. There's, guys, there's ghost rape in this movie. Yes. Like, gross. I wrote, oh, ghost rape. Fucking cool. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to see. And Well, <sighs> I think they felt like they were doing it a justice because in the original story, as we discussed, it's that Jessel is in love with Quint. Yes. And so she allows him to treat him this treat her this way. So in this film they were like, no, fuck that. He's Women aren't going to let men treat them that way, and instead, we're going to have it where he forced himself upon her. Except that that doesn't work when yes. I have to watch uh, when I have to watch a grown woman bow down to a 13-year-old boy. Well, the other thing is that in the original we have two ghosts that are collaborating with each other, that want to stick around with each other. And in this one, it's just one ghost terrorizing another ghost. And it's like- And then terrorizing a live woman. Right. And so why, like, all of a sudden, you take Miss Jessel out of contention for being a scary factor. So now, like, why would the little girl be scary at all if she's being possessed by Miss Jessel? Why is she scary at all? Exactly. 
That's so, not even so why an, is a the part of girl, the story. So why is the little girl being creepy an element of it if she's just a normal old little girl? I totally agree. I completely agree. This movie fully relies. It, doesn't know what it's doing. <laughs> it fully relies on the little girl having a creepy wig and creepy clothing uh-huh. and being pale. And the whole time I'm thinking, this little girl is doing absolutely nothing wrong. Why are you trying to make her creepy by making her look weird, which also doesn't fall in line with your whole p- subplot about Mrs. Groves being a total bitch because they're thoroughbreds and these children are God's gift oh, to God, earth. Well, then Mrs. why Gross. would you let this girl run around with her hair looking like that? Yeah. Why would you let her run around in these clothes? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't because you would think they were she was a thoroughbred. If anything, you would be telling her to act like a young, privileged woman the whole time uh you wouldn't be letting her act like a child you absolutely dislike mrs gross and then they try to redeem her right before she dies and we talked about the what's next with the innocence the first one uh this one has a what's next of oh now it looks like kate kills mrs Mrs. Gross. gross But we don't actually know if that happened because Mrs. Gross's death oh, yeah, is, is part of ending. the first it's ending. Been, you're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. It didn't actually happen. Exactly. We, <laughs> we're left wondering if anyone died. Because in the in the real ending, we get she sees the artwork. Mrs. Gross says, you'd better hope that her mental problems aren't inherited. And then she walks away. And then that's the last we see of Miss Gross. Kate just has a mental breakdown immediately afterwards. And then the movie ends. So, yeah, that never happens in that version. So it even takes that away. Mm-hmm. This movie sucked. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, do we want to go through the beats of the movie? Let's just see if there's anything I would like to talk about. Do we want to talk about why, for no fucking reason at all, it takes place in the 90s? Yeah, it was almost like they wanted to go for... I guess they didn't want a nostalgic factor. Because they didn't capitalize on it at all. Yeah, they didn't capitalize on it. They didn't do anything with it except for the fact that she's wearing a kind of 90s dress. And occasionally she listens to moody music. Even though it's not like music from the 90s that we know. Uh Uh-huh. So that leads me to that also falls in line with the feminist undertones a little bit. But you think they would capitalize on it by bringing in music that we all knew, you know, music that meant something to us as opposed to some random ass 90s moody chick who none of us knew and and related with. Like why she's not listening to Ani DeFranco or what's her face? Cornflake girl. Yeah. Never was a cornflake girl, though. That's the problem. What's her name? (laughs) Tori Amos. Who are Samson and Delilah? Samson was the strongest man in the world, and um, Delilah betrayed him and cut off his hair, which was the source of his power. Wow. That brings a whole other element. Uh Uh-huh, the evil woman. Well, see, Samson and Delilah is the same sort of thing that Adam and Eve is, where it's the, the evil woman who commits the sin and takes away the power that man has. It's just another thing to reinforce that women are evil and sh- and so should be subservient in our modern day world that like a lot of religious stories have. But what we find out is that Miles's horse is named Samson and their mother's horse is named Delilah. There are all kinds of weird things in this movie, guys, that lead nowhere. 
For example, the fact that they would name the son's horse Samson and the mother's horse is named Delilah, meaning that the mother was willing to hurt her son? What? Yeah, it's weird. There's a maze that you think is going to become part of it, and it's you're rolling so the you're rolling the hell out of your eyes. It will never get brought up ever again. Right. There's a little bit of a horse chase through the maze. Oh god. Which is okay. I gotta say, a oh, god. horse chase through a maze feels like it could have potential to be compelling, and it's absolutely not. It comes out of nowhere. She is standing in front of a window. And see, on, a, on like the second or third story, she sees fucking what's-his-face riding away on a horse and then chases after him for some reason and then is immediately behind him. We see her in front her of the horse. window. She sees something. I couldn't even be clear about what she saw. And then it cuts to her on a horse chasing after Miles. And you're like, what? What just happened? It is the wor- the mo- The editing in this film is awful. Yeah. Oh, speaking of editing, this movie commits one of the cardinal sins of jump scares. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, where she sees, she sees Miss Jessel in the window. The camera and the cuts jump away scare from her. Scared me. Yeah, but the camera cuts away from Miss Jessel to Kate to show her reaction, and then it cuts back to the window, and she's not there. Like it's one of those things where the thing was there, and then it wasn't, but the character never looked away. So the character would have seen it disappear or would have seen it walk away or walk off frame or whatever. And we don't get to see that. Like, so what actually happened? Yeah. It just disappeared as she was watching it. It's cheating hardcore and a rookie mistake. Yes. Agreed. Oh, they tried to scare us with a sewing machine again. Yes. Yes. So right after they did something that scared me. Maybe it was that, I don't know. The fucking sewing machine is used for scare factor. What episode was that where both movies had a sewing machine scare? Well, it was well Annabelle used Annabelle, it. Annabelle, yeah. I don't know if another movie used it. I feel like there this is like our third movie where it's like, oh, sewing machines are supposed to be scary. Oh god. And then immediately after that, this mannequin's head moves. Oh god. But even that couldn't scare me because They'd already lost me because they had used the sewing machine. Here's the thing. The mannequin's head moves after she leaves the room. True. Which reinforces the fact that there are actually ghosts and she's not going crazy. True. So which is it, movie? No, we just wanted to be creepy. Exactly. Exactly. With, With no motivation and no explanation. And that's the worst kind of horror experience. Exactly. Where nothing is motivated. These people saw The Descent. And they loved the ending. I don't know why. They <laughs> loved the really ending. Doesn't like the, the descent. And I know it's it's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> and they put it in their movie, and they didn't understand why it worked for the original. We'll say that a yeah, lot. Again, about I bad didn't think. Again, I, I didn't think it did, but they did, and yeah. they didn't understand why it did. Uh-huh. Yeah, but there's a creepy grandmother doll thing yeah, the that does nothing. That does nothing. The explanation. Is that her, uh, what's her face? The little girl's great great grandmother or whatever, uh, died, and then they made a doll replica of her. And Kate says, Oh, that's creepy. And the girl says, I think it's beautiful. And like, there's no conversation about why the fuck would you make a doll out of a dead loved one? Yeah. A full sized 
realistic replica of a human being that's not like a statue or anything like that, that you just keep in a bedroom as if you're going to sleep in the same room with it. Here's what I will say about the sewing room, though. At the very least, unlike Annabelle, at the very least, they gave a reason why the ghost would be using the, the sewing machine. They yeah, built she up, used to sew. Or she whatever. sewed, yeah, uh-huh. right? So, and remember, a, a lot of this is, not a lot of it, all of it is built up on the fact that she thinks that these ghosts are real. And remember that the Miss Jessel was a victim, and we don't learn that until the end of the film. So for the majority of the film, you're thinking she's a scary person, but when you find out that she was really trying to, like, ask for help. Uh Uh-huh. Or warn Kate. Yes. One of the two. The fact that it was using a sewing machine at least works for the story. As opposed to just Annabelle, where it was just like, for some reason, I'm supposed to be afraid of this fucking sewing machine that comes on Uh by itself. At the very least, this gives a reason. Yeah. Then we'll see in the sewing room, they've got this mannequin where you put clothes on it, right? First of all, Flora will play with one of them that has arms for no good reason. Yeah. And you think that's going to come into it and be scary. Nope. Never comes back into it. Then you see a mannequin that's meant just for fitting things on. And, and it has a bunch of pins in its boobs. And sh- and Flora will say, Miles did that. I told him it was tacky. Which I'm like, is that supposed to be a joke? I think it's supposed to be a joke. Jesus. Uh-huh. But then also... That never gets brought up. Nope. At one point, she picks the needles out of the boobs. Yeah. I think it's supposed to just be showing us Miles' anger and that maybe we need to be scared of him and what he might do to women and the fact that that's him being possessed by Quint, who was awful to women. Right. But at the end, they tell us that's not what happened. Yeah. So he's just a creepy asshole. Yeah. That we have to sit through for the entire film. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting there like, I deal with this every fucking day when I teach middle school. Yep. Can we just get Finn Wolfhard in a movie that's not anything about ghosts or anything like that? Like, he's in Stranger Things. He's in It. He's in Ghostbusters. He's in this. Like... I want to see him in just like a normal ass drama or a straight up comedy. Like, come on. Hasn't he been in anything else? Oh, I'm sure he has, but you know, I'm sure he's been in a lot of stuff. He actually directed a short recently that's all right, I hear. The Your Movie Sucks guy was like, yeah, it was fine. (laughs) So here's another weird thing. Flora never leaves the property. I guess it's just because she's afraid she's going to die because everyone she's known has and well, loved has died like Jessel right, died. right in front of the yeah. gate. Her parents died right in front of the gate, and then Miss Jessel died in front of the gate. Yeah. So she just has this idea that if she leaves the gate, she'll fucking die. Yes. Apparently. And in the ending that's not real, she's fine? Did she actually? I think she's fine, right? They just right. don't even bring it up. Right. And then, and then in the ending that is real, we never get to see anything happen. Right. So, like, it, it, that is never resolved. Right. In any way. The only reason it's important is because it stops them from leaving at one point. Because yeah. at one point they lose a koi fish, which 
I'm sorry. I hate when they try to use a person putting an animal out of its misery as creepy. Yeah. Did he have to do it the way he did it? No. Well, I think it's supposed to show the coldness of Quint. But again, Quint's not actually there. This is just a fucked up kid. So one of the koi fish is being eaten alive by a bird. bird, Yeah. Is that normal? Is that how fish get eaten by birds? Probably, yeah. God. I mean, I doubt they kill it first. <laughs> but so they they f- scare away the bird, and so Miles smashes the head of the koi, which wouldn't I don't think that would even be the most effective way of doing it, especially when you consider the the, the mess that it would leave. Right, he doesn't it care. Be, he doesn't got to clean up. Wouldn't it? Right. We know particularly he doesn't clean up after himself. Very specifically, yeah. yes. There's a stupid, pointless scene where she will. Where Kate will tell Miles to clean up after himself, and he's like, the fuck? I don't have to do shit. That's her job. Okay. Admittedly, it is her job. Right, but like, he's that a little... Like, that is what she fucking does. He is so, a little shit, though. Absolutely he is. But, like, why Kate would even say that doesn't make sense, because she knows Mrs. Gross, and she knows that Mrs. Gross is, like, they're thoroughbreds, so yeah, it doesn't... Uh make a lot of sense we get to see flora start to clean up yes and and then then he tells her no he tells her he does yeah he says it's It's not not your your job job either either, flora so i thought that was kate being like mrs gross if you're gonna let him get away with this i'm not gonna have flora help you no not at all not at all flora went to pick it up and he turned and he said it's not your job either okay i totally misread that scene so they, she has to go and get another koi fish. So she tries to use that as an opportunity to get the kid off the property, which I totally thought was going to lead to the idea that Flora was dead. Nope, not at yeah. all. She's just afraid. Ha- the first half of the movie implies that Flora is already dead and a ghost and that Mrs. Gross knows about it. Yes, but no. That would have been way more interesting. Because Mrs. Gross keeps trying to give her excuses as to why she has to stay on the property and she doesn't have to leave. And that would have made sense why her hair always looks a mess and, and why her clothes don't so look so much great. more interesting, but nope. No. Not at all. No. That's the scene where, I mean, I say that's the scene. I don't think there's a scene like that. Oh, I guess. Okay, so this is kind of like the scene where in the innocence, she screams at her like... Because she thinks that she's being possessed. But here, she's just trying to get her off the property. And this is when, just like in The Innocence, that's when Flora ends up hating her. That's kind of what happens here, too. uh So it's kind of the same thing, but also not at all. But so, yeah, they're driving, and it's weird because it's Miles that wants to take Flora off the property. It's Miles that convinces her to go. So it doesn't make a ton of sense that when Flora flips out, Miles is like, stop the car or I'll fucking kill you. Mm -hmm. Which is the only thing that makes Kate stop, which is absolutely ridiculous. If you've got a kid, especially if you're like this devoted teacher like she's supposed to be, and you know she's been traumatized because she's seen not one, not two, but three of her favorite adults die in front of the same place. Yeah. Like, you would think that when the girl fart first starts screaming, that would be enough to stop her. But it's not. We instead have to deal with Miles telling her, if you don't 
I'll fucking mm. kill you. I mean, I liked the idea that Miles cared about the happiness of his sister and recognized that she was upset and would do anything to support his sister. I liked that element of it, but it's also a little pathetic that your only way that you can affect change is by threatening to murder somebody, whether you mean it or not. And it, it felt like he didn't mean it. He was just a petulant child in that moment. Right. And we find out he didn't mean it. He's just like, I had to get you to stop. Right. But what he does say to her after that scene is... Oh, she tries to open her door and he closes it again. And he's like, no, you're staying here. I'm. You were a bitch to my sister. I'm taking her back to the house. Yeah. And what he says to her is, I know what you're afraid of and keeping the lights on at night won't scare, won't keep you safe. And so... There are some pieces of dialogue that keep it on the fence. But, yeah, but that like, that doesn't go anywhere. Right, because by the end, they decide that, no, it's not true. So, in fact, he's just being a manipulative little asshole. Right. Which is frustrating because it's like, but he's not being controlled by uh-huh. Quint at all. So he's just a manipulative asshole. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, not interesting. Okay. <laughs> hey, what are you doing? Flora, stay in your seat. Stop the car. No, leave your seatbelt on. Sit down, Flora. Whoa, don't hurt stop or I'm gonna die. Stop the car. Mom, I don't wanna die. Stop the car or I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> I told you to stop. <laughs> hey, Flora. Oh, Jesus. I know what you're afraid of. Keeping the lights on won't keep you safe. We should also mention that the first time he meets her is a complete 180 from what we got from the original. Remember in the original, she had already had misgivings about this kid. Yes. And when he shows up, the first thing he does is give her flowers. He charms the shit out of her. Not so in this movie. The first thing he says to her is he laughs at her and says, you should go to bed. Yeah. And you're like, oh, so this movie doesn't want me to like any of the characters. Okay. Because in The Innocence, that's a beautiful thing because it makes you question it the entire time. Is he really good or is he really evil? And instead in this one, he's not evil and he's not good. He's just an asshole. Being an asshole is not interesting. It's just normal. Uh-huh. And it's certainly not scary. It, it, right. Right. But so this time, right in front of everyone, Kate gets a phone call from the school. Not a letter, but a phone call. And they tell her why Miles was sent back. And when Miles asks her, what did they tell you? He, she says, oh, they were just telling me. All, um, the, all the work you missed. Yes. Or whatever, yeah. But it turns out they actually told her he was expelled. It's because he was choking a kid to death. Yeah. And apparently he's lucky that the other parents are not pressing charges, which I'm sorry, what? Why would a rich-ass family not press charges? Also, yeah, on uh, some rich-ass kids, right? And also, why would she lie about what the message was in this moment? I feel like they just did that because that happened in The Innocence. 
Well, because, I mean, she doesn't know him well enough yet. She's hoping to make a good rapport, which she will never get with him. No. Because every time they start to have a good rapport, something bad happens. He's just a dickhead, yeah. He has behavioral problems. And then later, the parents are super unimportant in this version. Yes. But occasionally- They're just important insofar as they die. Right, but occasionally they'll get brought up. So later on, she will ask him, why did you do that? And he won't even deny it. He'll say, no, I totally did that because he burned the pictures my dad sent me. Right. But we will never hear about that again. We will never hear about the parents. It is just something they can use in the story when they need it. But also, all that does is just semi-justify his reaction. Like, it explains his reaction. Oh, so yeah, he was violent, but it's because someone destroyed something that that he has, like... A, a severe emotional connection to, and that caused him to lash out. Oh, so you just made his behavior not scary anymore. Yes. Thanks, movie. Yes. You're actively fighting against the fear that you're trying to create in the movie. As opposed to the creepier story that we get in The Innocence, where he admits that he would hurt things at night, and it would scare the yeah. other boys. <laughs> like, that's way more terrifying. Yes. It's way creepier. That a kid, for seemingly no reason, yes. is hurting things on a nightly basis to the point that it terrifies the other boys. Mm-hmm. And animals. So it's that like, you know, yeah. far scarier than a boy g- going way overboard, of course, but lashing out because of something that yes. would arguably make anyone 100%. that upset. And the bird is now a fish that is suffering and so he's putting it out of its misery so yes. that's not scary right like it th- it seems like the movie actively undermines its scares at every opportunity it has it really does we also get a bizarre scene where okay she goes into miles's room and he's pissed because he's like don't you fucking know how to knock like she does she just comes into his uh-huh. room which is weird but she doesn't even pay attention to him. And she's like, do you have a friend in here? Were you talking to someone? I heard something. And guys, we didn't get any of that. Yeah. It just cuts to it. Yeah. Her walking into the room and being scared. So she does sound like a crazy person. Uh-huh. And then also, then he has a creepy moment where he has a spider, which, by the way, could not be more possibly fake looking. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And he feeds it to his scorpion. No, he feeds it to a... Um, it's not a scorpion? No, it's a trapdoor spider. Oh, I thought it was a scorpion. Did you look away at this moment? Because it terrified me? Yes. yes. No, it's a trapdoor spider. There you go. It's a larger spider that comes out of... Spider very, that eats little spiders? Yeah, it's a spider that that builds like a, a little hovel that has a little cover over the top of it, and it pops out of it to attack anything that walks by. And that's exactly what we see here. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But that will never come into play. At one point, at one point, Miles will come into her room while Kate is sleeping and he'll put his hand on her face. And when she wakes up, he'll pretend that it was a spider and he crushes it. Yeah. And that's when he gives her the kiss goodnight. Uh Uh-huh. And in that moment... It's almost like he's just a horny teenager. He's just a weird, yeah. <laughs> he's just, yeah, he's just a weird teenager that has feelings for her and he doesn't know what to do. Because uh-huh. even in this movie, I think probably because he's older, 
They felt, but not old enough, they thought it would be a little bit even weirder if he kissed her on the lips. So instead they have her kiss her on the cheek. And he's the one that pulls away. I mean, I guess he pulls away in the original, but like she's the one that has to walk away from that situation in the original. Yes. In this version, he's the one that has entered her room. And so he's the one that leaves the situation. And when he does, it feels awkward as opposed to a little boy who kissed you and then went to sleep. I don't know when this movie was filmed, but when the movie came out at the beginning of this year, Finn Wolfhard was 17 years old. He's turning 18 in December. I think this movie was filmed two years before it was uh-huh. released, I think. But he, like, he looks like an awkward teenager. Because he's 16. Exactly. Like, it's not as creepy. I mean, yeah, it's it's still shitty. It's still an inappropriate relationship. But it's not as fucking creepy as, as a, a little, little kid. kid, like, passionately kissing an older woman. Yes, this just seems, yeah, it seems like an awkward teen who's like, I don't know how to do any yeah. of this. <laughs> they also play a prank on her, which is weird. It felt very much like the good son. Are you getting the impression as we go th- sift through this awful mess of a film that this woman, this director, just likes a lot of movies and tried to put a lot of shots into Maybe. it from a bunch of movies know. that she Maybe. liked? Because they do this fake thing oh, where they pretend yes. they like they kill that, that Flora the... died, uh-huh. but it's just one of the mannequins. So I guess the mannequin does get brought up, but it's not in like a creepy ghost way. Well, it's not the haunted one. Right. Yeah. So, Even still. <laughs> but when she's underwater, she thinks she sees Miss Jessel who like grabs uh-huh. at her. Yeah. Which also doesn't make sense because Miss Jessel is supposed to be a good ghost. Uh-huh. But whatever. Why you wouldn't have? Why yet, you wouldn't have taken the opportunity to make that him? Right, because he's there too, guys. But so she's really upset, and she looks at the kids, and she just yells at them in the house now. We got you. We got you. We got you. We got you. Both of you in the house now. Which is one of the most real moments. Oh, yeah, totally. It feels very real. And the kids have a very real reaction of like, like, oh, my God, did we just go too far? (laughs) Yeah. And then they just walk quietly into the house. That was one of the few interactions that felt real. Right. Like something that could have actually happened. And then we get a scene which is straight out of Perfect Blue. Oh, of her hunched over in the bathtub? Hunched over in the bathtub. And it's like this milky water. You didn't pay for that. (laughs) You are not Darren Aronofsky. I think just having that visual is not the thing. I think it's, it's, it's a series of shots, one of which is the aerial shot over the bathtub of her hunched over in the bathtub and then her face underwater and her screaming into the water. Like that in whole, in totem, is the visual from Perfect Blue, but just it's just a part of it. I don't think you could claim that that's necessarily stealing from it. But yes, obviously they were going for the same exact thing that was in Perfect Blue and that was in Requiem for a Dream. They'd seen it before and threw it in there, just like you said. But yeah, then she ducks her head underwater in this dirty ass bathwater. Yeah, it looks like gross. it was gross. <laughs> and she thinks she sees Miles. But when she gets up on from under the water, he's not there anymore. Yeah. 
I do like when he comes in and touches her on the face. I do like his excuse for why he came in. They did an inverse of what happened in the first movie. Because in the first movie, she's outside his bedroom. And he's like, I can hear you. The the floors creak. I can see your light. So I know you're there. Uh In this movie, the reason he comes into her room, his his excuse is, well, your light was on. I totally thought you'd be awake. Yeah. uh What do you have the light on for? You afraid of the dark? And it's great because it's a great way of him to show, I know that you're afraid of the dark. Yeah, uh and I'm going to try to exploit every one of your weaknesses because I'm a petulant teenager. Exactly. That's all it is. He asks her, can I still give you a riding lesson tomorrow? Which she had said she would do. But, like, then we get this annoying scene where, like, he's whipping the horse and you're just like, I don't. That's the way Quint taught him. And then after this one lesson, all of a sudden, Kate's just, like, an expert rider. They will use that to show his position within Quint because he says... Because she says you don't have to keep whipping her. And he says, if you don't exert power over the animal, you'll never possess it. Or mm. you'll never own it. Or you'll yeah. never control it. Something like that, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely an allegory for men controlling women. We get a stupid dream sequence of Miles attacking her. And when she wakes up, it's actually Flora that's standing there this time. And Flora says, I was just checking to see if you were still here, because everyone I know leaves. And then she says, bad dreams? Almost like she enjoys the fact that she has bad dreams, which again harkens back to my question from The Innocence. Why, when Flora woke up and saw that she was having a nightmare, did she smile? But that's because they were leading up to the idea that perhaps she's possessed. She's possessed by somebody who's... Which we're not getting here. Yes, exactly. Flora's supposed to genuinely like her. Again, this movie falls hard on one side of this line, and that's the there are no ghost side. Another thing that is weird and never gets brought up again, when trying to convince Flora to leave the property, which is what leads to Flora breaking down, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. Miles, to convince her to go, says, what if I asked my special friend, Flora, what if I asked him to protect us? And he looks into the mirror and he says, will you protect us? And he goes, he says he will. But then as they're leaving... He turns and says to Kate, he also says that your tattoo is sexy. Right. Which, yes, yes, you could say that's kind of on the fence. But then why, on the drive, does Miles be like, stop the fucking car? Oh, because we know that at the end, it ends up being that he's not real. Mm -hmm. But then why... I guess to leave it on the fence to make it confusing because her tattoo is not in a place it could where just you'd be see away. it. Yeah, and I think that's what it's supposed to be. How it's supposed to be creepy is how would he know about her tattoo? Well, he walked in on her sleeping. Right, but it's behind her hair. We don't he know what he did while she was asleep. Right, but that seems a little bit, especially based on the way that she's laying. So she's laying like this. Mm-hmm. Their face facing this way, he comes in and he's on this side of her. If he wanted to see behind on her neck, he'd have to go around her. So all we're left with is, okay, how does he know about the tattoo if there are no ghosts? Yeah. Yeah. We get some bullshit where she bonds with Flora about this brave face shit, which again is pointless because the only time that gets brought up again is in the ending that's not real. Yes. So that doesn't matter. It's a cute scene though, and it's a cute callback, but then the movie completely invalidates it. Yes. 
we also get a pointless scene where she tries to talk to Miles about his, uh, about Quint, and Miles decides to play the drums to shut her up. Again, and, petulant teenager. Yes, and yes. again, nothing about this is scary. Uh-huh. It's all just pointless and annoying, and why am I having to sit through It's a this? little bit we need to talk about, Kevin. <laughs> a little bit, a little yeah. bit. What do you do when you're scared of your son? I do like at one point, Kate kind of attacks Mrs. Gross for allowing Quint to get so close to Miles and to corrupt him the way that he did. And Mrs. Gross is like, well, it's none of my concern. Like, I, he was the head of the property. And Kate goes, if it's not your concern and it's not my concern, then whose concern is it? Yeah. Because that was a nice moment. It was a good moment because Mrs. Gross is like, you shouldn't be worried about Miles's character. It's not and she's your like, concern. yeah. And uh-huh. she's like, if it's not your concern and it's not mine, then who the fuck is it? Good question, Kate. You should ask that to the writer yeah, who gave uh-huh. you no head of the estate. Yes. Because nobody who's responsible, legally responsible for the children. No. Like, yeah. Uh huh. Oh, this is okay. So the movie. So that whole scene where they're running on the horse, remember, ends up being a dream sequence. Oh, God, you're right. I forgot about that. Isn't there a dream within a dream here, too, somewhere? Uh, yes, yes, there are. And it, 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 it comes to the point where you're just like, what was scares? real? Yeah. What was real? And not in a clever sort of like... Gotcha. Yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, it's just it just feels lazy. And it feels very cool. How do like, we write ourselves out of the scenario? Well, she'll just wake up and it's a dream. We just did that. Well, now it's a dream within a dream. <laughs> there are movies that I like where you go, okay, what happened in this movie that was real and what wasn't real? And and you ca- what can you trust? And it's intriguing and it makes you think about it. This just kind of makes me mad. Well, also, she ends up finding a journal from Mrs. Jessel, Miss Jessel, which proves that the guy really was, like, torturing her and hurting her and probably did kill her. And it makes you ask, though, why didn't she leave a long time ago? Yeah, well, because she loved Flora. That's the bullshit reason why Kate stays, too. Right, but Quint didn't do anything to Flora. I don't even know. No, it's because she promised Flora she'd stay because her parents died. And she's like, I'm super sad that my parents died. Yeah. So Miss Jess is like, I'll stay for you. And I'll, I'll, I'll deal with abuse. And rape. Yes. And, yeah. Just, well, okay. The idea, I don't think he raped her until the night he killed her. That I may think be he true. was. I don't know. I think he was advancing on her heavily. And she's writing about it night by night. And, and she was yeah, trying to uh, ignore it, trying to push it away. I think it was finally the night that he attempted to rape her. She tried to run away. Uh-huh. And that's when he killed her. I don't think attempted to. He did. Well, I know. I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know if she attempted to run away before the rape. Right. Yeah. Or after mm-hmm. the rape. That part was confusing. So yeah. that's what I meant. I didn't know right. if like he, she ran away before he could. Right. Yeah. And then he did. Because again, the movie doesn't do a good job of, of, of setting up these scenarios and where they fall in relation to each other. No, because again, this movie's main goal is to show you a crazy person. And you're and like... it's kind of sad. And, it, and it, it negates all the shit that's going on because the only person who knew about what happened to Miss Jessel mm-hmm. can't tell anybody what happened because everyone's just going to think she's crazy. You might be thinking, no big deal, Quint got his because he got killed. No, he was able to corrupt Miles, and Miles was never able to get saved. Yeah. 
before the movie does its whole twist thing or the turning, I wrote down, there is nothing scary about this. Either it's not real and we're just watching a poor young woman breaking down or it is real and she could just fucking leave. Yes. She has every reason to leave. She's being horribly mistreated by fucking everyone on the property. She can't do her job and she doesn't need the job. And they don't establish that she really feels about what's going to happen to Flora like they kind of did with Jessel. She should have left a long time ago, I wrote. Yes. And so I don't have any sympathy for her staying, but I have sympathy because I'm just watching a poor young woman losing her mind. Yes. And that's not scary. It's sad. Yes. Just like in the original, they play hide and seek at nighttime. But here's the funny thing about that. The reason they play hide and seek in the original film is because they ask her, what did you do when you were a child? And she said, well, we used to play hide and seek. And they say, oh, can we play that? Instead, in this version... First of all, it is fucking daytime when she brings up flashlight tag, and then all of a sudden it's nighttime. Uh So that's a problem in itself. But also, she says, you promised to play flashlight tag with me. Yeah. We didn't see that. That never never happened happened in the movie. Never happened. You couldn't drop it in one scene earlier? She doesn't even know by this time, she doesn't even know what flashlight tag is. So she just promised she'd do something that she didn't even know what it was. Uh And we didn't even see it on screen. Yeah. uh And then also, what you need to know is... They're going to do the same thing, where she's going to get scared. However, in this movie, unlike in The Innocence, where she kind of... I think she knows, right, that she's being played by the ghosts at that point. That's around around that time where she finally screams, and then Mrs. Gross comes in. But her and Mrs. Gross have have this wonderful moment. uh Okay? Instead, in this moment, she thinks she's being terrorized by Miles. But when she runs upstairs... Miles is already alone with Mrs. Gross and Flora. Yeah. She comes out and yells at him and he's like, I was, I was, I got hungry. I I made myself a sandwich or whatever it is that he says. I've been down here this entire time. I don't know where the fuck you were. And Mrs. Gross acts like she's crazy. And then the kids laugh at her. Uh The kids laughing here is not creepy. No. It was creepy in the original because her and Mrs. Gross just had this really, I think that's even when she tells her about what happened. Uh And like they have this really deep moment. And that's when all of a sudden out of the shadows, the kids start laughing. And you're supposed to think they're being possessed by these ghosts. That's not what's happening here. It's just the kids being cruel just yeah just being assholes and laughing at her because she seems nuts yeah and mrs gross is calling her nuts in front of the kids Uh uh-huh this 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 whole fucking movie is like this she has a dream where hands attack her and that there's an eye looking at her through the keyhole and the doorknob is jangling but it's just flora Mm mm-hmm Why Flora is just jangling the doorknob before she opens it? No explanation. She's not like, oh, I had a hard time opening the door. No, it's just Flora. You know that? You know those those really bad, scary moments where it's long and protracted and then, oh, it's not actually scary. The best movies, like It Follows does a really good job of this, where you don't know if it's actually the friend on the other side of the door. They open the door finally, and it turns out it really is. She's like, Jesus, what the fuck? Why wouldn't you guys open the door? And then actual scare, right? This doesn't do that, and it doesn't even explain why Flora was 
struggling to open the door. Well, because then Flora says bad dreams again. So the question is, was it all a dream? No, that's shitty. I'm not satisfied by that. Or is she just crazy? Because that's what the movie wants us to know, that she's crazy. No, it just seems really fucking lazy. The next day leads into the final two scenes. And who cares? We talked about the final two scenes. She finally runs away with the kids and succeeds. And then the the car drives away. Tell them what brings her back. It's the pictures. Yes, it's the pictures that her mom sent her. And they don't explain why. No, it just cuts from from her driving off the property to her looking at the pictures again. Like, so you're wondering, is she caught in a time loop? Is she dead? Was she just imagining getting away successfully? Like in the descent... But no. And I thought what was happening, at, I, at first I thought what was happening is it's like, okay, it goes from her looking at the pictures, Mrs. Gross being really rude to her, and then her like grabbing the kids and running. I thought what was happening is it was cutting back and we were seeing what was happening in the scenes that we didn't see there. And it was going to reveal something important to us. But no, it's just like, no, this is what really happened. And then it cuts from there of the kids just going, it's Kate going crazy. You know, why is she behaving this way? And she's really looking desperate and like she's losing her mind. And then it cuts to her at the pool at her mom's facility. And she taps her mom on the shoulder and her mom turns around and she doesn't. We don't see her face, but she does. And then she gasps and then credits. And then it's a hand running across the wall the entire length of the credits. It doesn't even land on something important at the end where we're like, oh, that's why we've been watching this visual this entire time it's just fucking obnoxious that's what i'd say this movie is a bunch of obnoxious elements did not like it no what do you think it has on rotten tomatoes i think i know because i told you not to look and you did no actually i didn't look then i i was looking at something else online and i think it popped up okay what do you think it has it's 11 right it is 11 percent Stylish but muddled, this misbegotten adaptation of Henry James's classic novel will send horror-hungry viewers turning to the source material instead. Yep, yep. Metacritic of 35, cinema score of an F. <sighs> One of two from this year. Since cinema score started ranking movies, there have only been 21 Fs ever. And two of them were both in January of this year. The other one was also a horror movie. It was the remake of The Grudge that came out in January. I didn't even know they made a remake of it. Yes. Oh, my God. We have seen four of the 21 Fs on this show already. Have we? Yeah, that doesn't even include The Grudge because we haven't actually watched it for the show. Right, no. But it is a horror movie and we could get there. Another is Bug, which we talked about. It was in our second episode, I want to say, is when we watched Bug. That's because people didn't we knew understand people, yeah, it. We knew people were like, that's weird. It's yeah, the same reason that the other movie that got an F was Mother, which people are just like, it's too weird. And movies that are too weird get Fs. Whether they're good Mother. or bad. Whether they're good or bad. I know you didn't like Mother. <laughs> Whether they're good or bad, weird <laughs> movies tend to get lower scores. And the other one that we watched, the fourth one, is the Wicker Man remake. Well, no shit. <laughs> but I would have come out of that movie going, I don't know, I guess a C. Oh, but my like, God. It was so much fun. <laughs> There's nothing 
fun. Oh my God. That movie is a bad movie, but I have fun when I watch it, so I don't care. <laughs> this movie is a bad movie, and I do not have fun. So, F, absolutely. What would you give it? Like, do you think it's overrated or underrated to say 11? Was he annoying? Yes. Was he petulant? Yes. Was he immature? Yes. But did he play it well? Yes. Like, again, again. He seems We just real. do not get a lot of range out of this young kid. And I want to see him do other things. <laughs> I was not impressed by his performance at all. I was like. He seemed real, though. He did. He did. He didn't because seem like he was acting. Totally. Time. That's the problem. Is because I just saw Finn Wolfhard. Wait, what no, if. No, I what do if, not. Okay, we don't know Finn Wolfhard. I've seen I him. Don't... I've seen him as himself in various other yeah, things. Yeah, he's a nice he's, kid. He's friends with YouTubers that I like. But no, he. This seems exactly like what Finn Wolfhard would be if he was being a bastard to his parents. Like that's <laughs> I. It, I don't think it was a stretch for him. <laughs> Not that I think he's an asshole, but I could see him like, oh, if I was going to be an asshole to my parents, that's the way I would act. Like, that's what I, I see in his brain. And it's that's not, what makes it real. No, I know it makes it real, but it, it's not what makes it a performance. <laughs> I do. I want to see Finn's range and I have not seen it yet. I don't think it's his fault that this is what the movie gave him to I, work I, with. I don't either. <laughs> but the combination of the script, the direction, the cinematography and the actors is going to be what amounts to what this movie is. Like, I don't know that anybody did a bad job acting here. Because no. I think they all, like I said, I think they all just kind of did what they could with exactly. the material. Totally. 100%. I don't think it's the actor's fault. Yeah. But I could still be like, well, I don't I don't think we've, we've seen anything special from anyone here. And it could be the fault of the script. Totally. It could be the fault of the direction. Totally. But that doesn't mean it's not what happened. It's also pretty. It's okay. It uses a lot of visual tropes that we see in all sorts of horror movies. That It's uninspired, I would say. It's pretty, but uninspired. It did make me jump a couple times. Because you are very susceptible to jump scares. It doesn't matter how good they are, and I think you can recognize that. What would you give it? 11 just seems harsh. I'm going to give it a 15. I was going to give it a 10. There you go. I was like, 11 seems about right, but I would still give it a 10. Guys, I think it's because I'm biased because I do love Stranger Things. I'm currently wearing a Stranger she Things is. shirt. I, I, Yeah, I'm giving it a 15. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's saying something that you're you're worried about appearing biased for being too kind to the movie, and you gave it a 15. That says something about the quality of this movie. It's not even worth curiosity watching. No, it's really not. I would not recommend this. No. Well, that's the end of our Turn of the Screw double feature. The late night double feature show. With 1961's The Innocents and 2020's The Turning... What are we watching next week, Kelsey? We are going to continue with sequels next week. Whoop, whoop. Let's let's try to get further on into some of these franchises that we've started. Yes, because we have started a lot of franchises. Oh, and it's going to be October in our next episode. Yes. Yes, it is. 
We are going to continue with what seems to be everybody's favorite episode of The Exorcist. Yeah. We are going to continue with The Exorcist 2, The Heretic. So we have seen this movie and Kelsey doesn't remember seeing it at all, but we absolutely have. I remember it just being a movie that kind of rolled off of me and I thought it was kind of stupid with its with its plot. I'm just really excited about getting to The Exorcist 3. Because I want to see that whole, like, you know, they brought dude back. The Blatty, the director? Yeah, the, the, I'm talking about. Sorry, no, Blatty was the writer. Friedkin is the director. Yes. I think yeah. they brought both of them back. I don't know. These guys who didn't like each other for a very long time, but they have reconciled. What's his face? Father, whatever his name is. Well, one of the fathers is in the sequel, is in two. One of them is in it. No, but I mean, the one who dies at the end of the first one comes back. The actor comes back to perform in three. And it's with, uh, what's his face? Chucky. Wormtongue. Why can't I remember Brad his Dorf? name? Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif, yes. Yeah, he and, and he has this great scene, that which I've seen before, in prison or in an asylum or something like that, where he's like possessed by Pazuzu. I want to see that. I'm I'm really excited to see that. That is not what we're watching. No. We're watching the weird sort of like, oh, this is my psychic helmet that I put on and I can see into your dreams <laughs> version of The Exorcist. Is that really what happens? Yes. So I don't yes. know if it's dreams. It might just be a way to get into your subconscious or something. We can share the subconscious. But it is, it is Reagan. It is Reagan. Yeah, she's back. Yes. So Exorcist 2, The Heretic. And Exorcist the Beginning. Yeah, so we're starting on some prequels here. Now, what's funny about this, guys, is I looked up, like, what is the order that you should watch it in, just to know. Like, if you were to, now that we know all these movies have come out, what would be the appropriate order to watch all the movies in to get the best, like, version of the story? And basically, in doing this research, I discovered... That of the two sequels, three is far superior. Uh-huh. And of the two prequels, the second prequel is superior. And so we're seeing the worst one. We're seeing the worst of both worlds. The worst this sequel week. and the worst prequel. <laughs> so I'm kind of excited about that. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, so Exorcist 2, The Heretic, and Exorcist The Beginning. Excited. I'm really excited for that. In the meantime, you can always catch us on our website, podcemetery.com, where you can get a list of every movie we've ever covered in alphabetical order with beautiful poster art. It's a great way to dive into our backlog. Just find a movie you're interested in that you love or that you hate, and then click on the poster and it'll bring you to that episode. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review. A five-star written review is the best help you can give us there. Follow us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. Share us with your friends. I want to say thank you to everyone for listening in the GD first place. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? But sometimes I used to wonder if they really cared for them, those two, or if they weren't just using them. Using them? Yes, of course they were, and still are. Singing away, away, by the tree that weeps with.
Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Michelangelo, we want you to sculpt a statue of a figure whose thing is that he defeated a giant in combat despite not being large himself. Michelangelo, I will make him 17 feet tall. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. That uh, David's whole thing is that he was the little guy. That defeated a giant, and that's how why he's so remarkable. And when Michelangelo sculpted him, he sculpted him 17 feet tall. Extremely impressive. Yeah. You don't think it's going to be. You think it's going to be like, yeah, I've seen the picture. You didn't see the real one, right? You saw the replica? No, I've seen both. Oh, okay. The replica is just The replica is outside. outside for everyone to see, and then yeah. you go inside and you see the real thing. The original used to be outside mm-hmm. for everyone to see, but... Uh, Somebody broke his penis off? No, there was some sort of vandalism or vandalism or something. And so they put it inside and then they were like, oh, now we can charge everyone. Yeah. But hey, we'll put a replica outside. But the replica is not as tall. Really? I would have figured it would have been molded directly from the original. No, it's it's somebody made it. It's not as it's not as tall. Um and when you first see that, you're like, oh, no. <laughs> like You're thinking, oh, that's not good. And then you kind of know it's not the real David, but you're also thinking, like, that was, must be what it looks like. Uh-huh. But you go inside and you're like, you, you are blown away. Like, I could have stood there for at least an hour mm-hmm. just staring at it because it's, it's really impressive and I can't describe why. But yeah, no, totally. When I when I heard we were going to see it, I was like, that's cool. It'll probably be cool. And then you see the replica and you're like, oh, God. And then you get in there and it's way better than your expectations. So you got Leonardo da Vinci, who, I mean, come on, he's da Vinci, right? <laughs> you got Michelangelo, who, I mean, the Sistine Chapel. Incredible. David. I could stand in there. I will see that every time I go to Italy. Uh-huh. I will pay the fee. I will go through the entire tour. Oh, we're going to go. Just to spend, because you only get like 15 minutes in there. Mm-hmm. Just for that, because it's just so impressive. And then you have Raphael, who you like know is a great artist, but like can you right now name anything he's done? I can't. I know there are people out there who can, but I can't. And then it's like Donatello. Who the fuck is he? <laughs> And he's my favorite. I feel like I do know something that Raphael's done. Right? No, I mean, he's at least famous as an artist. <laughs> Raphael, Italian painter. No shit. Raffaello Sanzio da Urbino. Known as Raphael. Known for painting and architecture. Structures, St. Peter's Basilica. Via Madama. Chigi Chapel. I've been to St. Peter's. Raphael is best known for his Madonnas and for his large figure compositions in the Vatican. His oh, he did admired, the Madonna in the Vatican? I, I guess. Yeah. His work I've is admired that. for its clarity of form and ease of composition and for its visual achievement of the no- Neoplatonic ideal of human grandeur. Okay. Now we're going to look up Donatello, and I bet you the first result is going to be a Ninja Turtle. Mm. Ah, no, it wasn't. <laughs> Donato di Niccolo di Bettobardi, better known as Donatello, was an Italian sculptor of the Renaissance. What is Donatello famous for? 
Donatello was one of the greatest Italian Renaissance artists, noted especially for his sculptures in marble, bronze, and wood. His sculpted figures were some of the first since antiquity to represent an anatomy correctly, though some late works were slightly exaggerated, and to suggest a sense of individuality. Interesting. Wait, so what's his most famous work? Donatello had nurtured a close and lucrative relationship with Cosimo de' Medici in Florence. In 1430, the eminent art patron commissioned Donatello to do another statue of David, this time in bronze. This is probably Donatello's most famous work. Standing a little over five feet tall, David represents an allegory of civic virtue triumphing over brutality and irrationality. So he actually made David short. Donatello David. The fuck? So he's, he's literally done nothing I've seen. He's got a little hat on. <laughs> wearing a sword. He's still naked. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Anyway, let's do quiet time. So that night, she is walking along the hallway towards... You try that again? Son of a bitch! I knew it! Perhaps you dreamt it. I know you have nightmares. Flora says that you groan all night. Of course, she does sometimes imagine things. So, you never really can tell if she's being honest. Tell me the truth! How did she really die? She drowned herself in the lake. Were you very mad? That's exactly what I wanted. Wasn't my being good getting boring? Where are you? Where the devil are you? Oh, this is my psychic helmet that I put on and I can see into your dreams. 